the World Wrestling Federation. For over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment now continues with the tradition of WrestleMania. WrestleMania 1. WrestleMania 2. WrestleMania 3. WrestleMania 4. WrestleMania 5. WrestleMania 6. WrestleMania 7. WrestleMania 8. WrestleMania 9. WrestleMania 10. And now, WrestleMania 11. This year, starring Baywatch's Pamela Anderson. Home Improvement's Jonathan Taylor Thomas. NTV's Jennifer McCarthy. NYPD Blues' Nicholas Torturo. With special musical guests, Salt and Peppa. And featuring Lawrence Taylor's All-Pro Team. I'll be honest, I was nearly in tears watching this. <laughs> and I was throwing a tennis ball against the wall like a convict, <laughs> like in a prison cell, because that was how bored I was. Welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler, and today sees our continuing journey through the history of WrestleMania hit the 11th edition of the show with a thud as the Fed drafted in NFL great Lawrence Taylor to headline the show opposite Bam Bam Bigelow. Joining me today, we have firstly Tom Smith. Ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, ting, tang, walla, walla, bing, bang, tinky. Okay. You are the witch doctor, and I don't know the rest, and I don't know the rest of the song. No, do I, but I thought this was probably of a similar time. So I thought I'd break one of them out. Oh no, I think I think you're I, th- I think you're a good four or five years ahead of yourself, then, mate. Oh uh, really? Yeah. Tub thumping then? How about that? I still think you're a year or two. I still think you're a year or two. Ninety-five would have been Fairground by Simply Red. You know, here comes the hot stepper. You know that kind of oh, stuff. Oh yeah. Right? And it's, I always thought the um the lyric figure is extraordinary, juiced like a strawberry. Was just like a strawberry, and they're Eddie Camusi was really impressed by a strawberry but he says that he's got juice like a strawberry which i'm not 100 percent sure what mean what that means but either way you can trust the great man and what a song that is as well absolute banger indeed also we have the polar bear matt roberts polar bear is back and he's back for good <laughs> in fairness that is 95 that is good reference in there matt well is done that, is that, is that, i thought that would have been latter day take that a bit bit like 98 it was, it was. take that split up in 96 tom really yeah that song was uh, how deep is your love cover of the bg song obviously and that was without robbie that was without robbie as well by that uh, so it was back it was robbie in back for good as well Yes, I think so. He kind of yep. left six months before they split up, basically. Has he, like, when they do their Take That, re- has he rejoined Take That, or has it, have they done a Take That 
that. I don't. Be I, I believe since they're re, they got back together, they haven't released anything with Robbie. I don't think. I might be wrong, but they have done tours where they. And I know this because my cousin's been to them. He loves a bit of Robbie and Take That. They have done tours where basically you have a set of new Take That, i.e., like Patience and all that stuff, a set of of Robbie, and then a set of Take That and Robbie together. <sighs> to do the old take that stuff which is you know if i liked take that i'd be like that's fucking brilliant i would love to do that it's so fucking itv in it? it's criminal <laughs> whenever his album sales dip that's probably when he joins back yeah well do, do you know the thing is that like I, yeah oh god that sounds awful doesn't it i can't believe they like fifa try robbie williams now and again didn't they for like opening ceremonies and shit and you're like really is that is that is that where the level we're at bring bring out fucking pitbull like they did for the uh 2014 world cup pitbull and, and shakira or j-lo or something like that that's a party not fucking robbie williams singing angels to fucking thirty thousand people that someone cares but we've got we're not we've not really touched upon wrestling yet we've talked a lot about <laughs> pop, pop music of the mid 90s which you know i'm all up for and we can do a bonus episode on pop music of the mid 90s as much as you want as you know it felt a bit like i was being tested my trivia of 90s music was being tra- tested then so apologies well, to everyone to be honest that's got to be more enjoyable than this fucking barrel of cunts we're about to talk about <laughs> isn't it so well before we get to that barrel one thing we haven't done in a while is throw out a plug and we've seen our download figures rise dramatically since early december which suggests we have a number of new listeners to the pod since the start of our wrestlemania series for those people you can find us at rwr pod uk on twitter instagram and facebook our instagram account in particular has seen an upturn in traffic since the new year as we prepare for the inevitable destruction of twitter by elon minky musky sly old stoty stoty stoat <laughs> and that's and that joke was specifically meant for tom and that's it no one else will get it just Tom. Say that ten times fast. What the fuck was that? Well, Elon Minky Musky Sly Old Stoty Stoty Stoat. No problem at all. Easy. <laughs> Right, I'm going to break something to you now, Matt. True. Do not bother watching anything else for the rest of your life. Just watch series one to three, and then the first three bottom live shows, and you will have the time of your life, because it is the funniest thing ever. And also, you'll finally get all the jokes that we tend to make on this podcast, because they are pretty much all lifted directly from bottom, as was Elon Minky Musky Sly Old Stoty Stoty Stoty, even though Elon Musk didn't really exist back in the mid-90s when bottom came out. Also, to round off this plug, uh, please give us a review a rating a follow a subscribe whatever it is that you can do to show your appreciation for what we do that would be received very gratefully by all of us so we are god yes we are looking back at wrestlemania 11 very much considered one of the um ugly stepchildren of the wrestlemania family and i think uh i'm looking forward to seeing what we all have got to say about this and we start with our expectations for the show before we do that though i will say that once again i have got the 35 years of wrestlemania coffee table book with me and i am prepared with a couple of quotes less so than i was for wrestlemania 9 but i've got a couple of quotes from that book which i'm looking forward to sharing with you um tom why don't we start with your expectations to quote t-pain and flow rider my expectations were low 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 <laughs> low low i've seen this quite a lot because it was one of the ones again that you and i i think shared on video or watched watched a lot of it had on video from the time thinking that it's really not going to be very good i remember there being a Brett versus Bob Backlund match which is not one that I 
particularly remember fondly and <laughs> very rarely go back and watch. I know we had Shawn Michaels with Diesel and Batman vs. Lawrence Taylor. Um, this is the period of the Million Dollar Corporation, which is a concept that I always liked. I always liked the idea of like an evil billionaire bankrolling a faction of heels. But I, I couldn't remember. I knew there was going to be a lot of shit on there, like the smoking guns and Karma, who was in the aforementioned Million Dollar Corporations. I was expecting to see maybe the Body Donners and some other horrible, horrible wrestlers and ho- even worse gimmicks. But I will say that when I turned it on and I realised it was only two hours and 25 minutes, I was so happy. <laughs> it may not have um, raised my expectations, but it did cheer me up a little bit, thinking that it was reasonably short, because I think this might be the shortest WrestleMania we've had yet. Well, maybe WrestleMania 1 was close, I would imagine. But I also think there's some stuff, a few things cut from this from the network version. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what they would be, but I think they are. I don't think it was this short when it was originally broadcast. Matt, what were your expectations? I remembered absolutely nothing about this. I mean, I, I have I've, I've heard about it in the past, but I totally was pretty much completely oblivious to this, other than the, the, the colour scheme of the show. I thought, oh, I recognise that. But other than that, I was like, okay, so let's see what happens. I was actually, believe it or not, looking forward to it due to the fact that I could hardly remember anything about it. Whether or not that's a good thing, hmm, we're about to find out. But, you know, spoiler alert, no. (laughs) God, all right. Don't fucking, I don't know where he was a spoiler. Not having that. Come on. What was the colour scheme? It was like the, the sort of purple... Like, oh, I see. When, when, yeah, whenever I see the logo, as soon as I see like the purple one, I'm like, ah, I remember that one. Remove the wording from the poster. It looks like something out of Red Dwarf. <laughs> it does a little bit. Yeah, you're right. My expectations, yes, we had this on VHS. This was the first WrestleMania that took place after I got into wrestling. So I got into wrestling watching WrestleMania 10 on VHS and SummerSlam 94 and Royal Rumble 94 on VHS. So this is the first one that happened after I was properly into it, after I was buying WWF magazine. Although I don't think... In, at that time I fully appreciated the importance of Wrestlemania to WWE certainly and the importance I was supposed to see it with so it's got kind of a, a an interesting place in my kind of my view of, of pro wrestling I wasn't expecting much from it certainly but I was expecting the final two matches to make up for a lot of the crap that comes before it so I was I had quite a high expectation on the, the world title match definitely and decent expectation from the Lawrence Taylor Bam Bam Bigelow match that were my expectations going in anyway now talking points who am i gonna get i'm gonna get you to go first tom this time we've had Matt yep. first a couple of times recently so why don't you go for it and i i'm i'm quite interested to see what this is gonna be right my talking point uh, is involved around the first match of the night which is the allied powers versus the blue brothers jacob and eli blue uh do you want to go go and wrap up the result I, I will do once i've looked again second time in a row i've got so excited by me coffee table book that i've forgotten to get me notes out <laughs> and they're not in front of me there's twice that's twice has happened now so yeah the opening match of the night is the ally powers versus the blue brothers the ally powers being lex luger and the british bulldog david boy smith it's a match that goes for six and a half minutes um it ends when david boy smith performs a slightly botched sunset flip to get the pin on one of the twins who knows which twin because they look exactly the same yes so this match i'll be honest the only reason i want to talk about it is because i want to talk about the ally powers music <laughs> yep yeah because definitely. it's fucking amazing i'm thinking back through my the annals of wrestling and music that I have and as far as I'm aware this is the first kind of mashup that they did with Rule Britannia and whatever they assume Lex Luger's music would be and it's wonderful it's such an absolute banger of, of entrance music it's the 
best thing about the match because the match has just got full of horrible cunts isn't it we got uh, Luger who was apparently by all accounts an absolute scumbag back in the day uh, you've got Davey Boy Smith who I think was a bit of a crackhead and then you've got the Harris brothers who are both Nazis so you've got a, you've got an absolute cocktail of cunts in that ring in that time um, <laughs> and the, the match is not very good because Davey Boy is the only one that can work half a lick in the match as well so he carries up a lot of the heavy lifting but he's so unbelievably gassed through the entire match that he's just absolutely fucked through it because he is absolutely enormous in this match as well like he looks absolutely gigantic and the, the ending's really weird because they do the switcheroo the twins they do a switcheroo which gains absolutely no tactical advantage to them whatsoever so one of them rolls out the other one rolls in and just gets immediately rolled up into a sloppy sunset flip or something and it's is absolutely absolutely crap the ending to this and I was like I was watching it and I was like I've got to give so much respect to Vincent Mann on commentary because his unhinged enthusiasm throughout the match made me think it was actually half decent when it really wasn't so that was why I wanted to talk about it because it just, it was just a really weird opening to a match with two in Bulldog and Luger who are you know reasonably big names in a match against these two absolute nobody racist jabronis to open the card and then go on to have an awful match with an ending that makes no sense it was just a very bizarre decision i thought it is a strange one uh, there's no history either between the two teams so that makes it even more strange you're basically pissing away luger and the bulldog here like two people who could do something more important later on in a bigger match into a tag team match that who cares it's, it's it's also like the botches there's botches all over the place they're just not there's no smoothness about what they do and i include david boy smith and that there's one bit where the two of them power slam the blues into each other and land on top of each other it's like hideous mountain of men it is not good really really not good thankfully only lasted six minutes but it's not an auspicious start to a wrestlemania that's for certain i like to think they, they put these two together because they were like just think of the banger think of the banger don't worry about the quality of the match you know luger's not got over davy davy boy smith's turned up to work after Ed. we're never going to do anything with these other two jabronis let's just let's think about the music put the entrance music on and then everyone will have a lovely time <laughs> well in fairness the, the music the music is amazing Um, you know what the only thing I, I the only thing that I appreciate about this match is the continuity of calling uh, Uncle Zebekiah later on in WWE history Zeb Coulter that's the only thing I appreciated about this entire match never put that together ah well there you go so he's Uncle Zebekiah here later on he'll be Zeb Coulter that's literally literally the only thing that I appreciate about this match I wonder um, what relation Jack Swagger has to the Blues Brothers whatever they're called I don't know, second cousins or something. I was kind of fascinated by the idea of Bulldog and Lugan as a tag team. I never knew they were a tag team. And, you know, when they came out, I was like, eh, OK, th- th- this might be interesting. 
And then my hopes were absolutely dashed <laughs> when I, this just shithole of a match happened. That's yeah, probably a bit strong, actually, but it was still, it wasn't great. Yeah, you know, like like Ben said, there, there were botches in this. I mean, the the the, the blue, is it the blue or brew brothers? Blue. I, I couldn't, couldn't blue. even tell. B-L-U. There's no E but, on it, but it's B-L-U. Yeah. Like Dabu D Dabu Die. But without the E. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Those guys, yeah, what the hell? I'm just really bland, dull. Yeah, the the you know, the switching at the end for the, the, the sunset flip roll up while jabronified or what. This was not a good start to the show. Yeah, um I I don't think I wanna see most of these guys work a match together again. No, bad. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair. I think it's a fair summary of it all. Maybe I was a little harsh. It's not absolutely dreadful, but I mean, it's just. I think it's just so unremarkable, and it's a WrestleMania opener, and it's a WrestleMania opener of a show which has only got seven matches. So mm. I mean, like, how how have you only served this up? Like, there's got to be something else you can do in the opener. It just, yeah, it's a bit silly. Matt, your talking point. My talking point, and it's it's something I kind of have mentioned before. Oh God, is is it's, it? The, <laughs> it's not DQs in character. I was again. <laughs> Oh, don't worry, we're going to get to that. But no, <laughs> that's not my talking point. My, my talking point is, and again, I'm sure I probably have done it before, but whatever, I'm doing it again. Celebrity involvement in wrestling. Yeah, and, done that one plenty. Yeah, and do you know what? I just, th- th- this one I just feel is, is particularly worth talking about because of how fucking egregious it was. This WrestleMania may as well have been renamed for me the Pamela Anderson Show because that's pretty much how it felt throughout top to bottom is all they seem to give a shit about is where's Pamela Anderson? What's she doing? Where where is she backstage? Has she arrived yet? And to the point of it just made the idea of, no, well, not just the idea, but Pamela Anderson was bigger than the whole show. She was the reason you were watching, you know, this cool, all right, okay, you know, she was popular at the time, hot as all hell and all that, you know, and people wanted to see her. Okay, I get it, but... You know, you're presenting your biggest show of the year. And it just made everybody else seem like an afterthought. Like, I didn't give a shit about half of the talent on this show because I was pretty much told not to. Because, well, we don't care about them. We want to talk to you about the real celebrities, the people you're really here to talk about and paying money to see, like Pamela Anderson. And it just pissed me off so much because that's just pretty much all they felt like they cared about and that's not how it should be and i've mentioned it before you know you can have celebrities in wrestling it does work to you know to elevate everybody and everyone around them if done in the right way example off the top of my head i don't know floyd mayweather versus the big show was was one of the better sort of celebrity matches that that has been done you know jay leno sort of you know back in the day uh dennis rodman you know again another one but they they need to be used properly and again this just wasn't the way to do it and like i said he just felt like all vince mcmahon cared about was tell me where the fuck is pamela anderson and it just spoiled the show for me Uh, it's a it's a tough one because i think personally that's literally all they've got you know, they like Vincent Mann at this point, the the roster's so been slim been slimmed down, it's not popular. The product isn't good at the moment, and they're doing everything they can. Pamela Anderson was the hottest thing in the world in nineteen ninety five. And I think it, it kind of you don't think about it as much now, but it goes to how much of a an absolute get she was for WWF at the time to have her associated with the WWF. And the fact is that they it, everything was shit. Because <laughs> it's 1995 WWF, so they've got to do anything. They've got Lawrence Taylor in the fucking main event against against Bam Bam Bigelow, and they got obviously they they obviously introduced like Jenny McCarthy, that kid from Home Improvement, and the guy from a cop show that I can't remember what show it is. It and 
Yeah, that's that's right. That's right. Hill Street Blues. Yeah. And he's littered throughout this show as well. He's in it so many times. And they're obviously just doing everything they can to attract a mainstream audience. And that's all they care about. And that's all they that's all this show is, really. So whilst I think it's crap and rubbish, I can kind of understand why they've done that. But it still don't make it good. I think it's an interesting case study as well, because if you watch the opening video montage of the show, it runs through the history of WrestleMania, the first 10 WrestleManias. But all it does is focus on the on the celebrities that have been yeah. at those previous celebrity, uh, these previous manias. None of the matches, none of the moments, no Randy Savage and Elizabeth, no Hogan slamming Andre, no Warrior celebrating in front of the Toronto Sky Dome crowd. Nothing. Just, oh, we had Muhammad Ali at WrestleMania 1, then we had so-and-so at WrestleMania 2, WrestleMania 3, and it's just, that's all it does. And then... Then it goes, this year we've got, and then it just lists the celebrities who are at WrestleMania 11. It is bizarre. Like, they literally yeah. are in, like, this is this is what we're promoting for this show. And, you know, I can I can kind of understand why you, they would do that. I think it's less about a mainstream audience and more about a mainstream sponsorship that they're looking for. Mm. I think that's where they're in real problem. They've got no, like, Stridex is their main sponsor going into this. We've spoken about Stridex before. Can't remember what they do again. I always used to think... Acne. Was acne think. pads. That's it. Acne yeah. pads, wasn't it? you know then that's not really going to get them the kind of money that they're looking for so i think that's what this is about it's about sponsorship it certainly didn't work to create a mainstream audience buying this pay-per-view it's the lowest pay-per-view buy rate for a wrestlemania uh since the very early ones which weren't even you know were only available in very select households who had the technology at the time it, in fact it's the lowest up to this point now there are actually lower to come but at this point there was this was the lowest wrestlemania buy rate of all time it's it's a wwe that is not in a good place ultimately it's really not in a good place but it didn't work the celebrities didn't work to bring that audience in so you kind of think well what was the point you know and you're right pamela anderson's a massive get she was undoubtedly one of the biggest stars in the world in 1995 no no doubt about it they've also got jonathan taylor thomas from home improvements home improvements was a massive show in america mm -hmm. in, the, in the mid 90s um, it'd be better if they got tim allen though wouldn't it well we certainly would have been better to get tim allen salt and pepper as well are there although i don't know what they actually do i wonder if something's been cut involving them because we literally see them a little bit before the main event and that's it well they they, they dance when lawrence taylor comes out later on that yeah exactly that's <laughs> that's, that's all they do all, all the show at least on in terms of what's on the broadcast and you're just like wow for me that's a bigger problem than having nick nick Turturro and this storyline with pamela anderson running throughout is that their main focus from the get-go is that we've had loads of celebrities at wrestlemania and now we've got these and that's all they promote ahead of the show in terms of you know the, that opening package i do love though the footage of pamela anderson getting out of the limo at the royal rumble when we talked about it in our, in our very first show i think it was of this podcast when she gets out of the rumble and there's just like all these perving wrestlers are saying going look at her and there's like doink fucking bastion booger fucking men on a mission probably like duke the dumpster dress all these fucking weird cartoonish crap gimmicks that they had at the time and they're all just saying going, yeah yeah baywatch baywatch yeah ladies you know what I mean? It's, oh, it's a great, great throwback to our first episode that we that I enjoyed very much. But that that montage is bizarre because it shows Salt and Pepper like hanging out with Bret Hart and the Undertaker hanging out with the guy from the Thin Blue Line. It's just bizarre. It's just really weird. It's just really, really weird. Right, Tom. My 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 um challenge to you throughout this podcast is to reference Nick Turturro as if he is from a different cop show every single time you mention him. You're saying that as if you you think that I haven't written that into my well, notes. Well, maybe you have. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you have. Talk I don't even know if Hill Street blues is a cop show the one that i said earlier <laughs> <Tell me. laughs>
is oh, my talking point is a little bit is kind of kind of linked to what you just talked about but it's that this doesn't feel like a wrestlemania at all and i'm not talking about from the lineup forget the lineup for a minute the presentation and the production of this show is shocking dreadful throughout the whole show there are problems with sound there are problems with the cameras doing the wrong things the crowd is half empty you can see empty seats on the hard camera side which they'd never do never ever like not just now ever they just didn't do that they always made sure the hard camera side was well populated the start the show starts off Vince McMahon's in the ring but this his microphone's not on so no one can hear him the first bars of America the beautiful play then he finally his mic starts working so it's a rush his announcement of the person who's, who's singing the song the there's a lingering shot on one section of the crowd at one point which again exposes huge amounts of empty seats and is also really random like it's not like a, a, a part of the crowd it's not like panning across the crowd it's just a still shot of the crowd the whole production is terrible and the presentation as we've already discussed with the celebrities coming first before everything else just makes the whole thing just seem really low rent you know i was for the first two free matches i'm thinking this just feels like a house show of the time where they haven't got a full crowd their production values aren't great and it just looks that the arena looks a bit like there's too many lights so what's interesting is I've, i'm pretty sure that on the vhs there was the countdown show again before this one mm. and before the show they did a light show so they turn off all the lights they bring down the lights and then they just do all the spotlights and whatnot and have them moving around and it looks bloody great but at no point during the show do you get that all you get is this really lit up arena which just looks a little bit worn a little bit dowdy not particularly impressive and i just thought oh my god it just does not feel like a wrestlemania one bit not at all and from this perspective i think this does is not going to be reflected in my overall score because i'm not scoring it so much on this but for me this is the worst wrestlemania just for that just for how it doesn't feel like a wrestlemania and and not in a kind of the results or the match quality nothing none of that stuff i'm just talking about the way it looks not prestigious in any way there's a weird bit i'm trying to find my trying to find my notes in it there's a weird bit where vince mcmahon and jerry lawler are talking over the fink for ages mm. and that seems really like unusual for a WWF show the other thing that i wanted to talk about actually was about because the sound quality of the things at the beginning there's a lot of lingering shots at the blimp and they don't really seem to know what it is and when you see the camera shots from the blimp it looks awful mm. as well the, the the picture's really crackly and when vince announces whoever that is to sing america the beautiful as well you, you only catch the tail end because the sound quality is awful and then there's no cutaway you know to any of the landmarks you don't see any flying spitfires you don't see any not spitfires but you know i mean whatever they're red arrows or whatever you don't see you know the lincoln monument you don't see the bloody four faces on the rock the mount rushmores you don't see any of that stuff and it's really it really feels like don't beat instead what you get i just like pictures of the bushwhackers on the on the screen behind the singer and but they're with, well they're with special olympians so that's the thing the theme for this year's wrestlemania is special olympics she the woman who sings it is a special olympian herself and they have a lot of superstars with special olympians on the screen but you don't you're right you don't get the full screen of that so yeah you're right even that feels just low rent and like it's almost like they've cut budgets and part of that is cutting people from the budget i.e sacking people and having a skeleton crew and that skeleton crew has not got the ability to make this show look like it should and also at the end of it all vincent man and jerry lawler welcome us to the show and start going on about the pageantry which is the worst level of pageantry we've seen 
from any WWF show or any WrestleMania show since then. So they're really trying to like distract away from the shit values, production values that they've that they've showed us so far. I am so glad that you brought this up as a talking point. This was very close to being my one. Those of you may remember that I gave WrestleMania one a big fat zero way back. And just to give you an idea of, of my overall feeling of this show, it was reminding me of WrestleMania 1. Not not just match quality and everything, but the, the production-wise, a bit the opposite of you, Ben. I was putting that into my overall sort of feeling um, of the show. And you're right, it, in terms of production-wise, I completely agree. This was the worst WrestleMania ever. The the talking over each other, you know, the, the camera cuts, you know, the mic's not working, so the fact that it looked like they scrapped the first segment and have to come back to it it was god awful and vince even said i and i've written it as a quote at the start of the show wrestlemania is the standard of excellence in sports entertainment now obviously i know they're obviously talking about you know the wrestlemania as, as a the brand as a whole but if they're talking about this show is it fuck this was awful it was just so so bad yeah it, it did feel like a house show i mean i halfway through i'm just thinking what is going on like i I could imagine in my head, I mean, Vince must have been going nuts, you know, while he was on commentary, but if he was a gorilla, my God, I could see people getting fired and him throwing his headset and just wanting to absolutely beat the shit out of people for how bad this was. This was just, yeah, I've never seen such poor quality. And if anything, it made me feel really grateful for how, at least today, anyway, at least how much better it's, it's run and how much better the show qualities are. So I actually felt quite grateful after watching this. So thanks. Uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one thing. I'd rather watch this level of shite production than have to listen to the awful piped in crowd noise they put on Raw and SmackDown these days because it is awful. Well, I mean, they've done it on SmackDown since the beginning, so it's not something that is new to, to now. It's I mean, so much it's... worse now, though. It's okay. so much worse. I mean, I, I just think you can tell. I just think you can instantly tell when there's piped in crowd noise and it doesn't enhance anything. It just makes it seem less interesting as far as I'm I concerned. can. I can understand them doing it when, obviously, they had the Thunderdome and everything like that. Yeah. But, oh, no, it's on there on Raw and it's so it's just constant you know it's just a constant yeah. that's an issue I've got with American television in general is that constant need for noise I've, I hate it I hate it so much and it's bled into British television more and more is that there's just this sense of we cannot have no a moment where there's just quiet and or there's just someone talking like you watch a documentary even like a documentary which is quite involved there's always music in the background like you don't need the music you just don't need it you're telling the story of a, a real life thing that happening get rid of the music so i think that's just wwe responding to american television trends to be honest my my favorite thing is like when they'll be like um i did i'll be talking like a documentary about i don't know let's say bret hart and they'll be like bret hart was raised in the family of 14 siblings in calgary or canada and they'll be like a ding 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 <laughs> like really quaint like always country music like generic country music in the background oh I, I I hate I hate that necessity <laughs> to have noise all the time. But but what are your thoughts on? Because I think you're probably like me and like you like an identifiable score in a film. So if you're talking about like something like Back to the Future, an obvious example, the music in the back or a Jurassic Park, you know. Da, 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 but when you talk about, uh, I think and specifically about like the Dark Knight Rises or the Dark Knight, one of my favourite films of all time. And the, and it's there's no kind of like overarching theme score, but it's just in the background the entire film. What are your thoughts on that? I don't mind it if it's done for a reason, if it fits what's going on. I think the thing I'm most 
have trouble with is when it's done in documentaries to be honest that noise that constant noise because documentaries don't need shouldn't be over dramatized they're real life situations involving real people especially if it's about like murder or something I, i'm like go no, get that sh- stupid music out it doesn't need to be dramatized it's already dramatic it's real someone died you know what i mean but yeah with the dark knight i did my what i have objected to and i think is not a original thought i think it's, i've seen it said on twitter many many times i've been thinking it for about seven or eight years the levels of music in the background of oh just stupid these days it's just absolutely stupid just constantly cannot hear anybody what they're saying you constantly have to shift the volume up to hear what people are saying when it's quiet and then down again when the noise comes in it's just fucking out so what you're, and, so what you're not levels out and also not only is it annoying it's even more annoying when you're terrified of your kid waking up <laughs> yes. and you're trying to watch a film and you're just like we well, need to right, volume down volume back up again and you can't like, I will not I will not let them win I will not stop watching TV English TV with subtitles I won't do it I'm happy with subtitles I'll watch foreign TV shows and films with subtitles but I refuse to watch English speaking language TV shows with subtitles because then they've won these horrible sound mixers of one and I'm not going to let them to be honest we do it because we watch most of our TV on one volume or two like volume one or two because we don't want to wake up the baby so we do tend to watch nearly everything with subtitles now just for that reason but i sometimes you have to even when you even when you don't have a baby that's sleeping and you're fully able to watch something you still have to fucking turn the volume up and down all the time it's ridiculous sorry james i just think that's a reflection of your age it might be very well it it is i'm afraid tom (laughs) how old are you 32 oh fuck off (laughs) it very it very well might be but i've been noticing this for at least seven eight years so it's not a new thing like it, it's not it, it, i really genuinely i think i would go back as far as a dark night actually which is probably a bit further yeah. than that it's probably like 12 13 years yeah well there you go i would I, like i feel like it's been a problem since then and i and genuinely i just i just think sort yourselves out like this is not accessible to anybody this is just no it, and it's not just in your t on your tv where you perhaps have got some control over the sound and therefore maybe you've done something that's made the sound mix wrong it's in the cinema like i'm just watching yeah. the cinema it's like it's, i can't hear what you're saying because the music's too loud or the music's blaring out so I, i'm like fuck you're just too loud like or oh, the incidental noise is too loud as well yeah 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 anyway I mean, we've got no. way off way off way yeah. off track it's anything to not talk about wrestlemania 11 yeah i know but you're just <laughs> going to extend the episode that's the problem yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i understand it even more but i need to give my second piss in a minute as well i drank too many beers already so yeah i mean so that for me is the to- is the is the big thing that stood out for me is just how this feels even at the end of the show at the conclusion of the main event it just seems, seems to drop off there's no pageantry as you've said tom there's no great dwelling on the on the on the ring and this kind of superstar nfl player taking his victory he just kind of like oh lo- you know, long shot on the ring and, and then oh yeah no commentary would just oh it just fades and you're like we, the match look the match finished 30 seconds ago you know there's no there's nothing it's just it's just so it just doesn't feel at all glamorous or or impressive or important it feels like the end of like any of those awa shows that we've watched we're yeah. like oh match is done cheers lads it doesn't feel like wwe and it feels like something less than wwe it was like is, is this it i mean i, I literally Block capitals. That was my last note. Is that it? I bet you didn't have any trouble uh, staying till the end this time, though, man. <laughs> no, I didn't. Like, I was looking for how long I had left. I was like, oh, I was going to finish any minute now. And then I was like, oh, shit, it now. Yeah, I, t- I wrote that's a wet fart. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I quite enjoy a wet fart every now and again. It's <laughs> the, or at least the sound of a wet fart. And uh, it's usually better than that. 
So seeing as we've run through most of what's happened at the start of the show, I will just quickly talk about America the Beautiful because we do actually get one this week, which is wonderful. Thank God. You know, I was I was WrestleMania 9 had me like just seething with anger. WrestleMania 10 obviously then was uh, old little Richard and then WrestleMania 11. So the the lady who sings for WrestleMania 11, I have not written the name of her down. Can you believe it? But her name is I can't find even on Wikipedia really quickly. This is just ridiculous. It, it doesn't say it. It doesn't say it. Legitimately does not say it in the book in the 35 years of WrestleMania Kathy Huey thank you Kathy Huey who is a special Olympian um, and she does a sort of operatic almost styled America the Beautiful which is very different I wouldn't say particularly to my taste but I was glad that it was America the Beautiful and it was something different you'll take America the Beautiful over not America the Beautiful well that's it yeah I mean basically anything with America the Beautiful this almost gave it that score back because it had America the Beautiful over <laughs> WrestleMania 9 I mean that for me that, that deserved really for me to take five points off of WrestleMania 9 just because of there was no America the Beautiful but there we go yeah and then it's the Allied Powers versus Jacob and I Blue as the opener after that match JR is there in his role for this show which is as a in the aisle roving reporter mm. type thing and he tries to interview Zeb in the aisle but what Zeb says is rather inaudible because the sound issues that they're having he just rants about being in the big city which it's in somewhere in Connecticut isn't it it is yes so it's not a place you associate as necessarily being the big city but I guess because he He's supposed to be a bit of a country bumpkin character. I guess that's why he's upset about it. Yeah, it's in Hartford, Connecticut, a place with a population I've of been there. 121,000. So even even by UK terms, not especially big, to be honest. I, I believe I said we watched another show at Hartford, Connecticut, and I recommended a Pizza Place, which was very nice, an Italian place. So I'd highly recommend listening to whatever that sh- Good luck finding out whatever that show was and finding that Pizza Place recommendation. And the sound quality continues well the problems with sound quality continue straight after this was Nick Nick Turturro's backstage but his mic's not working and so we go back to Lawler and Vince who then have to talk for about three minutes to cover the period of time that they were trying to have at this point yeah he's just in the heel dressing room isn't he and he's like wandering around going hey I'm from the wire who wants to talk to me and then yeah like nothing really happens it's, it's very bizarre. well we, we, we don't know what, turns up doesn't she? we don't know what's going on because there's no sound so we, we just don't know what's going on at this point we come back to it later but we don't know at this point that that's what's happening mm-hmm. next up match two Jeff Jarrett versus Razor Ramon intercontinental title match no less 13 and a half minute match it ends when Razor goes for the Razor his edge but the roadie jumps up and gets Jarrett DQ'd Razor Ramon is accompanied by the 1-2-3 kid for this match to try and nullify the presence of the roadie at uh, ringside because the roadie had already made a big difference to the title changing in the first place as uh, the Royal Rumble 95 which again we would have discussed in our first episode Matt is going to go on a rant about the fact that this is a DQ finisher Tom why don't you start <laughs> so first of all th- there's an interview with the 1-2-3 kid and Razor Ramon before the match that happens uh but the sound's completely inaudible as well. <laughs> Again. <laughs> it's very, very weird. i got to give a shout-out, not MVP of the night, but a close one, for the amount of raz that the Fink adds on Razor Ramon. He goes into overdrive. He was notorious for doing it, but he really goes into it. There's obviously a bit of a feud going into this, so I like the fact that Razor Ramon bolts to the ring and starts starts attacking it. But I did I did think that he didn't look as smooth, Razor, in this match. I don't think he looked... He didn't think he looked up to his usual standard of what we've seen him 
of him as Razor Wayne. And I was wondering if his old demons were starting to kick in at this point because I wonder, I thought he looked a bit sloppy, he looked a bit gassed, he didn't look in great shape. He seemed a bit, basically seemed a bit pissed, if I'm being honest. So I did wonder about wonder about that. The match in itself, actually, I thought was all right. It goes through momentum changes due to the outside interference. I must admit, the one, two, three kid is an incredibly striking gi or kimono or whatever it is that he's wearing. Um, it's absolutely hideous. But the, the actual match in itself was, was all right. There's a long figure four in it. Razor does a great job at selling the leg because um, he goes for the razor's edge and goes to hit it, like you said, Tinky, but his knee buckles out because he's had the figure four on him. But it's just, it's, it's, it's not a bad match, actually, I thought this one. I thought it was okay. I thought the, the Rudy played their part. I'm not overly happy about the finish, and I'm sure Matt will go into that in, in greater detail towards the end of the match. But I thought this, this match was all right, albeit they're not a big fan of the ending, and I'm not a fan of the fact that older Razor looked a bit half cut, I thought, through the entire, through the matches. Do, do we have to do this again? We don't. <laughs> no, you don't. You can just blow past it. It's fine. <laughs> well, well, we know we're going to have to do it again because they continue to poke the fucking bear, quite literally in this case. Poke the polar bear. <laughs> That's right. Oh, my opinion of the match is just immediately coloured just by how fucking shit the finish was. It's the Oh god, I can't. I can't keep living in this hell where these shitty DQ finishes like this at a WrestleMania. Do you know? In fact, fuck it. I'll almost forgive them for this one because do you know what? This show was so utter shite that who cares? <laughs> this is the one time I suppose it's actively forgivable. But it, oh, it's, I was, you know, I was watching it. I was thinking, okay, I mean, this is not my favourite match. I, I felt it was a bit long and it was actually a bit long-winded. I felt it was a bit boring in places. Um, but I was like, okay let's see where it goes and then of course my faith was rewarded with a giant middle finger and fuck you with the finish I can't get over it I, I just felt like there was a particular spot in the middle of the match where they, they seemed to be um, Jeff was uh, was going for a sleeper uh, Razor would get out of it he'd get it again get out of it and he got it again and it just felt like it went on forever so for me this match is memorable for two things the sleeper spot that would never die and the stupid finish which I never need to see ever again gigantic thumbs down. You may never need to see it again, Pap. I'm sure you will at some point, even if it's not on one of the WrestleManias we've got coming up. I'm sure you will see something. Just out of interest, have you ever been happy with any countdown or disqualification ever? <laughs> Do you know what? Yes, I can, th- I can think of one off the top of my head that I was okay with, yes. Okay, cool. And secondly, first of all, is it, and why, if it is, is it more acceptable to go to a time limit finish? Do you know what? Have I ever seen a time limit finish is a good Ooh. question. I, do you know what? Off the top of my head, I can't remember seeing any time limit finishes. Brian Danielson against Adam Page last year or the year before last might even be now did I see that I remember hearing about that I can't remember if I saw it I might have missed that one that was the one at the Arthur Ashe Stadium yeah I think I might have missed that okay it, it's just an interesting one because I was thinking about it once when, when I saw this match and I was like oh another DQ finish I bet you though Matt doesn't mind a time limit finish which is a draw which is for me even worse I don't know but you know and I, I think wrestling purists tend to quite like a time limit finish but I'm a bit like well why is that any better you're still not getting any results no conclusion it kind of depends how it's done, really, and how how yeah. they sort of build to it, really. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, the, the DQ, it, it just it just feels lazy. It, it it really does feel lazy, and I, in this sense as well, it just it was just an excuse to have them all. It, they may as well just like a tag match instead. You know, it, it felt like we wanted to get to the point where all four guys get in there, and it's like, well, just do a tag instead. But there you go. I mean, they I think they probably would have done that in your house. One, I think one two freaker was still injured, and therefore a Razor fought them both in a handicap match, which we have covered on this show previously in house one matt you were on it because it was two bret hart matches hakushi and jerry lawler you may remember the thing for me 
about this is that it's not as good as their Raw Rumble 95 match. The Raw Rumble 95 match is much better than this. But also, I watching this this time, I was like, I don't really think that these two mesh very well. They don't, And it doesn't work for me. Razor being the babyface against the much smaller Jeff Jarrett just does not work for me at all. It doesn't look for a second like Jeff Jarrett's got a chance. And you should already feel that because the babyface should be portrayed as being better anyway. And the, and the heel needing to cheat in order to stay on the same level as that person but then to couple that with the fact that it looks like he would just get beaten the hell out of by this guy just it just doesn't work for me at all i just don't like it and i don't like jeff jarrett i just think he's hideously overrated as a as a performer but not by fans by wrestling promoters i don't not got a clue what they're doing but every single wrestling company he's ever been in seemed to want to give him a push now admittedly in tna that was just because he owned the company so of course they wanted to push him but wwe did during the mid 90s and then again when he returned in the late 90s wcw did when he went there in 96 97 then again back in when he returned when vince russo was in charge of course vince russo was his best mate at that time and then again and then again now he's back in AEW and he's winning matches against people what's that about charity shouldn't be anywhere near wrestling ring to be honest he shouldn't have been anywhere near wrestling ring for the last 15 years but he should definitely not be anywhere near wrestling ring in 2023 to give wwe credit they never pushed him in the type in the heavyweight title picture did they i'm, I'm sure they nearly did like you know wasn't he always rumoured to face like Steve Austin for like there, a major programme? There was a point in time where there were a number of people considered for a, for a headlining run against Austin. And one of them was Jeff Jarrett. But that was mainly because Vince Russo was pushing for it, not because Vince That's, was or anything. They ended up going with Billy Gunn, didn't they? No. So they ended up going Triple H. It was Jeff Jarrett, Billy Gunn and Triple H. And they went with Triple H. Billy Gunn ended up with The Rock and Jeff Jarrett was cast aside because... Yeah, no one wanted to work with Shit, him. Any. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I just didn't buy it. Just, just didn't buy it. And, th- and this time, it just felt a lot worse than their previous confrontation. Depressingly, I think this is my match of the night. <laughs> wow. Okay. No. No. Do you know it's not? But like, this is yeah. No, it's not. But no, think about it. But it was nearly in contender for my match of the night, which is obviously a a damning indictment on what we're about to talk about. I think. So once again, Jim Ross tries to interview Jarrett in the aisle. Jarrett promised that payback is you know what. Um, and that was about all I got from this. I I wasn't at this point with two matches in. We've seen Jr. twice, and I'm like, I'm not seeing the value of having Jr. a roving reporter in the aisle, just get him backstage and welcome them backstage. Well, also, what why is Jeff Jarrett saying, you know, payback is a you know what when they've kind of come out on top of it? <laughs> they, you know, they they not they're not promising payback because they've just beaten up the baby faces. Bit weird. Next up, we get um, rebooted Nicholas Turturro backstage with the Million Dollar Corporation segment. Um, he's also got Jenny McCarthy and Shawn Michaels and Sid with him as well. It is suggested during this that nobody has seen Pamela Anderson, who is um, meant to be accompanying Shawn Michaels to the ring later on in the show. And that's about what we get. So basically, Nick Turturro is on a is on a mission to find Pamela Anderson. Now, I think I think there's one or two segments that aren't on this WWE Network show that Nick Turturro does trying to find Pamela Anderson. Mm-hmm. That's where I think they've made the cuts. That's the ones I can think of. I can't think of anything else. So probably not a lot cut, but I think there may be one or two things cut from that perspective. He should have probably got some of his colleague from the bill involved. He should have got Tosh out. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And got a couple of other lads out. You know, you know, and, and, and they should they would have all found her, I'm sure of it. It would have been an absolute legendary WrestleMania moment if Tosh had been involved in this one. Well, I mean, it's rather sad. I think he drank himself to death, didn't he? I think he did, yeah. But that would have been a hell of a scene, wouldn't it? And rock it up, looking for Pamela Anderson off his fucking head. Certainly would. <laughs> Him and Scott would. Hall getting on the getting on the source backstage. <laughs> so next up, we get the fourth instalment of the Undertaker streak as the Undertaker 
faces King Kong Bundy and beats him in six and a half minutes of a match. The contest ends when Bundy hits an avalanche, but it's no sold by The Undertaker. Then when he goes for a second, Undertaker counts it with a big boot, a clothesline for the victory. Matt, why don't you go first? This was not good. <laughs> That's probably the, the most apt description I could come up with straight away. I mean, I think Taker probably spent the majority of the match worrying about, and I'm not going to call it an urn because it was just a giant vase. Um, it's fucking massive <laughs> that urn or whatever he had. I just I thought that was hilarious. I was thinking I was waiting for flowers to come out of it at any moment. King Kong Bundy and the Undertaker is not a great combination, and nor do I think anybody on this earth probably ever thought that it would be. Perhaps maybe other than Vince. Taker did his old school move, which, you know, okay, he does. I mean, but one of the only things I liked in this was I, I like this version of the end. I liked his gear. Whenever I do think of a classic Taker, I do kind of think of that gear. That, that's kind of cool. Uh, and his entrance was definitely good. So those are definitely good things on it. Yeah, the, the finish was really piss poor. Nowhere near as bad as a DQ finish, I suppose. So maybe I should shut up and be grateful. But it, it, it could have been better. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's King Kong Bundy, okay? I'm not expecting Undertaker to have been able to lift him up for a tombstone, so absolutely understand that not happening. But it just felt like it kind of came out of nowhere and was a bit, just a bit flat. So, yeah, not not really the uh, the, the best match, but it was interesting in that uh, the, Undertaker, um, the Undertaker, Vince did say on commentary to, um, towards the start that he did mention um, that Undertaker has never lost at WrestleMania. So I, I know people sort of debate online where the streak officially started, but... It was interesting to hear Vince actually say on the commentary team that uh, he's never lost. So that, that was an interesting note. Well, Matt, the, the streak officially started when he fought his first match against Jimmy Snook and beat him. Well, well no, like in, in terms of, you know, people will debate of when, you know, they recognise that it officially started, if you, if you get me. Yeah, I get it. Um, I'm just being facetious. Um, no, no, not you, Tinky. You, the most facetious cunt I've ever met, was being facetious. Never. In WWE's 35 Years of WrestleMania book, uh, they also note this, Matt. So it says, despite it being only the fourth match of Undertaker's WrestleMania career, the announcers, didn't name who they were, may have been a bit prescient, as they mentioned earlier in the match that the dead man had yet to lose at WrestleMania. I don't know whether that was included to make Vince sound good or Vince's or Vince's name was missed off so that he didn't sound like he was boasting but one by the other the announcers uh, noted that this was the Undertaker was still undefeated don't go wrong obviously they had acknowledged it at this point I don't think that they were thinking about it when they booked though that's yeah, the key <laughs> this is historical because this is the uh, debut match of Larry Young yes <laughs> as a referee <laughs> why do they make such a big deal I don't know who this guy is why are they making such a big deal about it it's really weird yeah, I don't know either. I think he is some kind of baseball referee. That's all I could glean from what I saw on mm. screen. So I've no idea, no. you know, who he actually is. They take they take no effort to acknowledge who he is. They just say it's his first ever match as a referee. Very bizarre. You're right, Matt, about the entrance being cool. I always love the fact that Jerry Looking always seems. I said Looking then, like he was French. <laughs> Jerry Looking. Um, <laughs> he genuinely seems scared. Whenever the Undertaker comes down, which I've always quite liked, he's it's all the young girls in the crowd that should be scared, really, not him, when the lights go out. There's a bit where uh, Todd Pettingill is interviewing some guy called Neil Anderson. Again, I don't know who that is, but Todd Pettingill's mullet is repulsive. And again, we've covered this in the, the Rumble 95, but the thing that upset me even more is that 
Todd Pettengill's got a headset, and you can just see this little flappy hoop earring hanging out underneath it, which looks really sad. And I, it may be, may be a bit upset, because I like a bit of Todd Pettengill, but he went down in my estimation. The urn is interesting, because it is massive, and the only reason it is massive is so they can get that massive light in it, I assume. Because he, Paul Bearer always had a small urn, and then they get the big urn, which then gets taken by Kama, the supreme fighting machine, in the match which then gets melted into chains, which they then have a match over at the King of the Ring 95, I believe. Or might Summer, be Summer, SummerSlam. SummerSlam. So that angle goes on for a long time, and I do have a lot of time for the, the idea that Undertaker is kind of facing the million-dollar corporation as opposed to one person, so they can kind of keep the angle going but not have it go too stale by having him face different people that being said every wrestler in the million dollar corporation is absolute turd so it's a bit of a bit of a catch 22 really the, the match is, is is not very good i mean one thing i do have to give king kong Bundy a lot of time for is that he must have some absolutely like incredible moisturizer or something see this is you know what 11 well 10 years on nearly from wrestlemania 2 and he still looks exactly the same so i've got to give him credit for that but other than that, this, this match is not very good. Like like you said, Matt, he goes through the spots. But the fact that it ends with a, a power slam, which in itself is pretty impressive, and then a clothesline is is really quite underwhelming. So obviously before The Undertaker really incorporated the, ch- the choke slam into his moveset, because that could be a feasible finish on someone the size of King Kong Bundy that wouldn't be too difficult. But yeah, not 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 a great match for me. I've, I've discussed about having issues with The Undertaker's kind of working style at this time, and I know he there, there's a reason for it, but it doesn't for me make particularly interesting wrestling matches, and he's working against King Kong Bundy. So whilst I didn't love the match, it was kind of what I expected. So he did definitely use the choke slam at this time, so I don't know why they didn't go with that. So a couple of things I've got to try and wrap up here because I wanted to hit a number of points. So first of all, the urn. So this goes back to Royal Rumble 1994. Yokozuna beats The Undertaker in a casket match. Undertaker rises to heaven, disappears. And then in the summer, the Million Dollar Man claimed to have contacted The Undertaker and was going to bring him back to the WWF. Turned out to be a fake Undertaker. And when Paul Bearer brought back the real Undertaker, he had the big urn so that there could be a light that came out of the big big urn through the arena as if the Undertaker's spirit was returning back to the uh, to the WWF. So that's why they had the big one with the lamp inside because it fit that purpose. That that's also effective. the same time that he turned purple as well, wasn't it? I think he was purple before. I think no, he was grey. I know he was originally grey, but I think he had had the purple before that point as well. I think he turns purple because the fake Undertaker's in grey and he comes back in purple. I think they had the grey because that was what he wore when he was a heel. Do you want to fight about this? <laughs> well, <laughs> when we're next together, yes, we will. But I think that's yeah. what happened. I, I'm pretty certain I've seen the purple before that point, but it doesn't matter. That's also the start of this feud, effectively, because that's why the Million Dollar Man doesn't like the Undertaker because he beats his Undertaker and then that Undertaker's obviously gone. So then we get uh, a, a sort of feud which began kind of re-began with IRS at the Rumble where they, they show the clip of that as well before this match and then you get the King Kong Bundy and then you get Kama. I don't have a huge problem Tom as you said with him sort of fighting the Million Dollar Corporation but the problem is he just done this with Harvey Whippleman so they just had him you know go from Kamala to the Giant Gonzalez you know in the similar sort of vein which had lasted for over a year as well so it's kind of like come on give him something else to do but they didn't want to they they saw the Undertaker as the guy who was like Andre the Giant and, they, and I think that's what his I think that's what his legacy is. He's the replacement for Andre the Giant. He's the sort of attraction just that sits uh, underneath whoever the main event guy was. That was basically the Undertaker's sort of position. The Million Dollar Corporation is 
obviously what you know, I came in as the million dollar corporation was building itself. And so for me, it's a, for me, it's felt like a fundamental and really important part of pro wrestling. It's fucking shit. The million dollar corporation never worked. I love the idea of a, of a million dollar corporation coming in and try and kind of like take over the WWE. But Tom's absolutely right. Everyone they filled it with was useless. It kind of actually reached a peak towards the end of 95 because they had Sid and they had the one, two, three kid. And it was a little bit, you could feel something going on with it. And then it just imploded because everyone left effectively. So it, it never went anywhere. But uh, yeah, at this point, Kama, King Kong Bundy, Nikolai Volkov for crying out loud. It's about 57 years old already. Yeah, just, just not a good, not a good gimmick at all. A couple of other bits of context. So Mr. Anderson, uh, in the crowd is a former teammate of Lawrence Taylor, which is why Todd Pettengill is talking to him. Larry Young, meanwhile, was a very well-respected uh, baseball umpire who umpired the World Series in 96 and 2003 and other big games in 92, 98, 91, right the way back through the whole of the 90s. But at this point, there was a baseball umpires lockout in 1995. So he wasn't umpiring baseball games at the time. And so they brought him in to do this as a sort of, I guess, a little bit of a publicity thing, I suppose, to to, to umpire this match between the Undertaker and King Kong Bundy. Um, so I'd quite like to interject say it was definitely when he it came back, the Undertaker came back at SummerSlam uh, 94 in the purple, because I've just done a Google search. In fact, I clicked on a, a link on Google Images of a picture of the Undertaker. I wanted to find one with the Undertaker and Yokozuna in front, like with the Royal Rumble banner, and I clicked onto the link and it, it clicked took me to a porn website, which was um, caught me off guard, I'm not going to lie. So at the Royal Rumble 94, he was wearing the grey, yeah? Oh, yeah. Big grey day for the Undertaker. <laughs> okay, well, you know, maybe I was wrong. I, I'm not saying he was only exclusively grey uh, or purple. I just thought I'd seen the purple before. I think um, you. I rarely get to um, win over <laughs> you in wrestling trivia, Tinky, so I think you just need to back down now. I'll, I'll accept it. I'll it's accept getting, it. It's getting a bit embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept it. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I apologise to everyone. It's, it's sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'd like to uh, make a full-throated statement of my uh, apology. <laughs> if I've offended anybody, I really do uh, apologise. A um, throaty apology from you, mate. That's a bit much. <laughs> That's what she said. Right. Mm. So at this point, we'll take a break, come back, cover everything else on this show, um, and then we'll see you on the other side of the break. Ladies and gentlemen, standing by with Big Daddy Cool Diesel, WWF champion, who will meet Shawn Michaels next. Psycho sit in his corner. Diesel, your frame of mind right now after Shawn Michaels said there is no way he's leaving here without the belt that's on your shoulder right now. That's funny because that's exactly the way I feel. You know, they say that Sid's not going to be involved, but I've already played that role. I know exactly how Shawn Michaels thinks. I know what his game plan is. I'm not buying it. He wants a war. He's got one. Big Daddy Cool came here to do one thing, and that's to hold on to this belt. And let me tell you something, Shawn Michaels, in a few short seconds, Big Daddy's going to walk that aisle and he's going to show everybody why he's the World Wrestling Federation champion. Big Daddy Cool Diesel, ladies and gentlemen, Psycho Sid not on his mind. You heard one goal to keep that belt. Let's get back to ringside. So welcome back. And WrestleMania 11 goes on. Backstage, Nicholas Turturro still looking for Pamela Anderson, but instead he finds Bob Backlund facing Jonathan Taylor Thomas in a chess game in a relatively dark room, which always is always a bit dodgy, quite frankly. 
Jonathan Taylor Thomas wins the game of chess whilst Backlund is slightly distracted by Totoro's presence. And then he Backlund, who is not happy with having lost, fires a number of general knowledge questions at Jonathan Taylor Thomas, who expertly answers all of them correctly. Yeah. And then Backlund storms out unhappy about the uh, way that uh, the youngsters are disrespecting their elders. Again, like I've said this before, Bob Backlund's heel character is absolutely great. I love the fact that he's kind of like educating him, trying to educate him. And then he starts to talk about like how this generation don't respect don't know anything and then when the kid gets all the answers right he starts claiming that they're all arrogant and this <laughs> is brilliant yeah it's really good it's really good but this is before bob backland's big match and i put that in inverted commas big match with bret hart so you've just sort of basically made him look like an idiot and a loser before the big match with bret hart afterwards would be fine but before it's just a little bit well, just just before that bit as well because that does look a bit like pedo-y i'm not going to lie with him in a dark room with this this young kid um but the 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 bloke from line of duty um is looking for pam anderson again and has a, interviews a bunch of the pro star teams at that point. The oh yes, the and yeah. one of which is Steve McMichael, mm. who cuts a dreadful promo. And someone from WCW was watching that and thought, "We'll have some of that." <laughs> they certainly did do that. I don't know why I haven't got that written down. Strange. I've he needs, that he needs to stop focusing trying to find Pamela Anderson, and he starts needing to hunt down some bent coppers. <laughs> Oh, that line of duty, what a show. Right, before the next match, Owen Hart comes out and he introduces his tag team partner for the match versus the smoking guns, which he's managed to get set up. That is Yoko Zuna. We are then whisked backstage where the smoking guns are interviewed by Vince, who's still sat at the commentary table. So it's almost like a satellite video link up to the back. And they react with surprise at the announcement of Yoko Zuna. Now, Matt, I remember you commenting on this when we watched In Your House 1. There was the rematch between Owen Hart and Yoko Zuna against the smoking guns. And you commented on how weird it was to see Owen Hart and Yoko Zuna together. Here you got their origin story what there was of it anyway um, what did you make of all this it was still weird to see them together <laughs> it just i don't know it, it doesn't seem like something the that, that you think would would fit and work as a team so we it, it was it you know it, it just felt kind of weird a little bit forced but um what was really interesting about uh you know this matches and read between the lines you know that this will certainly tell you where you know my opinions of the show as a whole but this was my match of the night oh and not not only that oh get ready it featured my mvp of the night as well and it wasn't yokozuna <laughs> and it wasn't owen hart oh you're, you're an idiot <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's going but, to Billy Gunn, isn't he? He is, he is, he is. He's an idiot. It was Billy Gunn. <laughs> You're a fucking idiot. Did you know what? <laughs> no he didn't no he didn't he bloody did basically what happened Matt is you're like there's a guy I recognise and who wrestled yeah. when I was watching I'm making no, him my no. MVP that's what happened no 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 Billy Gunn was shit when I started watching wrestling and still is but my god he had his working shoes on in this there was lots of like sort of cool moves uh, to be fair that the, both of the guns were doing I will admit I, I just happened to know Billy a little bit better you know as a performer so yeah I'm going to lean that way, but they were great. I mean, that's the one thing I did notice is that they were worked really well. They did a lot of cool stuff that I kind of think you, you'd see today as well, which I didn't necessarily kind of think they do 
moves like that then, so that was interesting. This was actually, as I mean, again, you know, the show quality overall pretty piss poor, but this was actually an alright match. It wasn't too bad, so I quite enjoyed this. I haven't seen that many Yokozuna matches, so I, I do find it interesting being able to see him wrestle. I mean, there, there were parts where, again, yeah, I do think he was trying to put some rest holds on just to, to try and get a bit of a rest. But yeah, it's just this, this was good. Like I said, the guns for me were great. Billy Gunn, MVP of the night. Well done. So just to quickly say before we go any further, so this was a night just nearly a little under 10 minutes. The Smoking Guns lost their tag team titles to Owen Hart and Yokozuna when Yokozuna hit Billy with a bonsai drop, but Bart breaks up the pin. Yoko then throws Bart out and Owen pinned Billy for the victory. Now, I actually, I've got to say, first of all, they weren't great, were they, Matt? Let's be honest, they weren't great. They might have been quite good, but they weren't great. I think great is a well-overused term for any wrestling act, especially if you're using it in conjunction with the smoking guns. They were right, let's be fair. Let's, in, that Great is a bit far. But I, I also thought, you know what, whilst I was watching this, I was thinking they should have just left the smoking guns together. That was the perfect position for these two guys. They were, neither were ever going to set the world on fire. Just leave them in the smoking guns and have a competent little tag team for quite some time. That would have been fine. I think the, 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 what they suffered for and their reputation suffers, suffers for is that they were tag team champions and probably the biggest regular tag team, if you like, at a time when tag team wrestling was such an afterthought is untrue. Even to the point, basically, they have been thrown in here for the tag team titles against a team that hasn't been defined in Owen Hart and Yokozuna. They haven't even been announced before the show. And how does Owen Hart earn a tag team title shot all on his own? That makes no sense. He can't he's clearly not had any matches to do so. So that bit shows you a little bit where the tag team titles were having said all that i really like the owen hart story that's going on here i love the journey that he's on so you've already seen he's jealous of his brother that's a continuing theme through this show because they talk to him and he's you know he sort of said sort of says you know he's going to do these things that his brother did and he talks you know when he introduces jokes he talks about the fact that this guy beat my brother for the for the title and they also you could even relate it back to royal Rumble 94 because at royal Rumble 94 brett and owen hart are going for the tag team belts you don't get the titles afterwards owen kicks brett's leg out of his leg and and then Owen goes on a rant about how he's never had a belt before. He's never had one of the titles before. This was his big chance. And now he's, he's lost it. In the meantime, between then and now, you've had Brett and Owen have their matches. And they had their cage match at SummerSlam for the title. Brett's come out on top. And at this point, Owen's now gone. They've kind of gone, right, what's the next part of Owen's journey? OK, now he's not been able to go for the title. He's going to go back to the basics. Start where Brett started in the tag teams. Get that belt and try and emulate him that way. So I love that this is entirely in line with that character and that story that Owen Hart has been going on throughout the last 18 months two years it makes complete sense and again i kind of i kind of understand what you mean about owen hart and yoga you know they don't make obvious tag team partners but at the same time given that story for me it makes perfect sense that owen hart would go and get yokozuna so that's why i've always thought of it as so natural but i do, I do take your point just randomly kind of entering this position where you're like well, what's going on here and then owen hart and yokozuna together that's a bit strange i do have to agree with matt in that this is my match of the night wow um, really yeah 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 it was either this or the Razor match and I decided to go with this one this is also the match that I kind of referenced earlier um, it's when Owen Hart is announcing Yokozuna as his tag team partner is when Vince and Jerry Lawler are talking over him the entire time which is really 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 weird 
they do that that backstage promo where Vince is talking to the the guns and Billy Gunn with that tash and that hair looks like such a pervert it is unreal and Billy Gunn's promo is okay Bart's is absolutely dreadful and there's something so weird on the way uh, maybe it's because like I think of of um, Billy Gunn mainly in his kind of DX thing but his smile as he comes to the ring is so unbelievably forced and cheesy I couldn't take it in fact I, I whenever I think of Billy Gunn now I saw one of these compilations the other day of where like wrestling is accidentally really homoerotic lots of stretching asses and that sort of stuff but there's a bit where I don't even know how you could how you could even explain this and Billy Gunn I think he's when he's in his feud with The Rock and he goes let me tell you something Rock I'm gonna jerk a nut into your ass I don't even know what he's trying to say and I don't even know why you thought that would possibly be cool but anyway that's my Billy Gunn moment the smoking guns hit this move um, which I've always it looks like a real low key low impact move that could go horribly wrong if it's mistimed and it's when you quite often see in tag matches especially in this era where one of the tag team members will kind of twist their arm and hold, hold it out and then they'll tag the other partner and the other partner will come in and do like a double X handle off the bottom rope or something the way the smoking guns do it is that they I think it's Bart will go up to the top rope and come off and he'll jump with his legs over the arm and almost straddle it down and I thought to myself I was watching it I was like fucking hell you could absolutely destroy someone's arm if the person who's holding onto the wrist lock doesn't let go made me feel a bit uneasy if I'm being honest I probably thought about that a lot more than anybody ever has ever but uh, I reckon this match made me think I should go back and watch a bit more 1995 WWF so I can watch a bit more Owen Hart and Yokozuna because I think they also I think they work really well together I love the fact that Owen Hart is this little obnoxious dickhead in the ring but who can go and he's even more of an obnoxious dickhead because he's got this absolute monster behind him this monster who hits a leg drop on Billy Gunn on the back of Billy Gunn's head and it looks hideous it looks like he kills him and there's there's a couple of other bits that are moves that like that, that Yoko does he hits an incredible belly to belly suplex again I think it might be on Billy Gunn that looks like it's going to kill him and he hits the bonzo drop on Billy Gunn and it looks brutal and I love the ending of it okay, I'm a bit Bristolian then don't I I loved the ending of it it was fucking lush and the the bit that, that I loved is that Owen Hart drags him out of the corner I think it's Billy Gunn again he, he goes to put the sharpshooter on and he's like he's fucked I can just pin him I don't need to do the sharpshooter and it's brilliant it's a really really good way to end the match the one last bit about it is during this era during uh, an a match with any either Brett or Owen Jerry Lawler is always on absolute fire and there's a line that he says where he says they thought Old Yeller was a movie about one of Stu's teeth which <laughs> made me laugh so yeah that was a that was a highlight of it I, I yeah I thought this match was my it's my match of the night this match isn't my match of the night but I do I do quite like it and that's the thing about Yokozuna for me he doesn't do a lot but there those three moves the leg drop the belly to belly and the bonsai drop looks so devastating every time, nearly every time anyway. I don't care. I, it just doesn't matter to me. They look so devastating. The bonsai drop, especially there's, a, there's one classic clip where he does it on a jobber and it just looks like he absolutely kills him with it. It just looks like he just properly full on lands on his chest and you're like, my goodness, that must have hurt. I love the belly to belly and I love the leg drop. I think the leg drop is absolutely stunning as a move. It just looks great. Those three moves I could watch all day. So I, I'm a big fan of you because you know, always have been. I, and, and there's, if you're going to talk about 
about smoking guns and their double team moves. It's not the one with the uh, arm lock, you, with the you know the wrist lock you want to worry about. It's the other one where Bart holds him up in like a, ba- a backbreaker position, and Billy manages to get himself up really quite high in fairness and do a, a kind of leg drop on him whilst he's hovering in the air. I think that's uh, it's quite a tiny move that one. Um, the jobber you referenced just then, I can remember. I don't know if it's this is the same one you talk about, but there's always a really brutal one on Virgil that he did uh, in early in his one, That is, yeah, that is that one. What he manages to do, and it's always the same thing I wonder about, like the moves like the, like the coup de gras, the double foot stomp. I don't know how people do it uh, and have it not absolutely cave your chest in. And obviously, mm. what Yoko does when he comes off the second rope is he lands with his feet, but then he pushes his feet out so it kind of like slows the momentum down a little bit. But there's a couple of them where it just looks like he doesn't bother putting his feet down, it just absolutely annihilates someone. It's yeah. horrendous. And then you've got a face full of fucking Yoko balls as well. It's just a horrible situation. <laughs> Yoko balls. That is going to be the quote of the night, I think. So we move on. Uh, backstage, Todd Bettingill is with Bam Bam Bigelow. We see footage of the Rumble and Bigelow's confrontation with Lawrence Taylor. Then LT and Bigelow confrontation at a WrestleMania promotional event, which is outside. Bigelow says he's not going to be the guy who is remembered for losing to Lawrence Taylor. He says the Million Dollar Team will watch his back, and he says it, this is his world. LT's not coming into WWF and making a fool of him. It's a weird promo. This one because I find that it's really still out because it's it's a mid-90s promo where he's not just screaming constantly which is something that's obviously kind of come in recently but it kind of came across that he was quite confident and arrogant which I guess ultimately would be his downfall in the match which we'll cut about later chat about later but it's just a bit weird it's just a bit of a weird promo I thought he didn't seem like he was interested in it in my opinion Mm, interesting Matt what did you think it's just really bland I think this may have been the first time I've heard Bam Bam Bigelow speak (laughs) I don't think I knew what his voice sounded like it, it was just really bland and yeah he did seem kind of disinterested he's like he's just reading out his shopping list for the week <laughs> you know it just wasn't any good i go to tesco i pick up the milk and the bread yeah <laughs> i i didn't think it he, he seemed disinterested i just think he felt like he wasn't natural in front of the uh, natural talking like he's just ultimately that's why he's got the million dollar man right he's the manager that's why why isn't million dollar man ted DiBiase there doing this promo for him uh making it seem more important because ultimately otherwise there's no real point in having him and so yeah i, I think it was terrible but it didn't really stand out for me as anything special or or, or interesting and it was an interesting angle there coming at it from here which is that if Bam Bam Bigelow loses it's an embarrassment to him which I guess it is but it's I don't know it for example we've seen lots of matches where in the recent years where you know the celebrities have wrestled in the ring but they've not taken that angle so much in in recent years which I guess is kind of strange because it should be embarrassing for it should be I guess the reason they can't do it now they can't especially can't do it now is because of uh, Logan Paul actually taking the world champion to the limit <laughs> like once you've done that you've kind of broken that forever but realistically that should be an embarrassment to Roman Reigns that Logan Paul was even able to spend three minutes in the ring with him, let alone take him to the limit. God, that was great, though. Maybe, and and I don't know. Maybe maybe in this day and age you can accept that because of the entertainment value. But I, I don't I don't know. It just felt a bit diminishing for a um, person like Roman Reigns to to do that. But hell, you know that's a whole different thing. But whatever the case, that was clearly a major thing that was going on here. Bigelow, in terms of his approach, this match was I can't be embarrassed. 
by it. After this, Vince and Jerry talk a little bit about that match, and then Howard Finkel introduces the special referee for the next match, Roddy Piper. Piper gets one of the bigger pops of the night, um, as he always does, really. Second year in a row that he special referees a Bret Hart match. This one, though, is a special type of match. It's an I quit match, which they call a submission match, but it's actually an I quit match, where someone has to say, I quit over the microphone. And it ends when basically Bret reverses the chicken wing and locks it in on Bob Backlund, at which point Bob Backlund makes some noise, but doesn't really say I quit. Don't know how they got to the finish, but that's the end of the match. It lasts nine and a half minutes. Strong contender, my MVP of the match, was uh, Bob Backlund's noises in this match, because <laughs> they were they were absolutely outrageous. But they managed to they managed to do the impossible. They managed to have a boring Bret Hart match at WrestleMania. Ah! Well, they also managed that in WrestleMania 26, but that was a long time afterwards. Well, yeah, but they, they hadn't at this point, had they? It's true. I'll go into my thoughts on this match first. Shit. Absolutely fucking shit. Rotten. Rotten to the core. We covered Survivor Series 94, where Backlund wins the title off Bret, and you, Tom, and Old Man really enjoyed that match. Mainly, I think, for Owen Hart's drama on the outside, which was great. But I said it was a bit boring. A bit long. A bit boring. All right, but not, not, not really for me. This was utter garbage. And I don't, you know, it's, it's not that long. It's like four or five months between the two. So I don't think Backlund has got that much worse in that time. And I actually put this on Brett a little bit. I think he's phoning it in a little bit. I don't think he is fully into this. And I'm not surprised, don't get me wrong, if you're coming up to WrestleMania and the best thing you can do is give him Bob Backlund, the relic that is Bob Backlund, whilst The Undertaker equally has got the relic King Kong Bundy. What are you doing? Guys, you know, you, you've, you've spunked away Lex Luger and David Boy Smith in the opening match in a nondescript tag team contest. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you thinking here? It's so strange. I find this one really, really odd. It's at this point that I'm going to start my fantasy booking corner because we've been doing that a lot recently, last years of WrestleMania, eight and nine in particular. There was lots of stuff we thought we could change. This one really, for me, emphasizes the weakness of this roster because if I don't ch- if I don't go back significantly far to change things, there's nothing I can do to this WrestleMania 11 card to make it any better because they don't have the, the roster for it. Can't really put Undertaker and Brett against each other. Babyface versus Babyface, non-storyline match. That doesn't make sense. You can't really have Lex Luger or David Boy Smith against either of them because they're all babyfaces. So I had to go back to SummerSlam 94 and the match between Tatanka and Lex Luger where Tatanka is accusing Lex Luger of having sold out to the Million Dollar Corporation and it actually turns out that it's Tatanka who's done so and Tatanka turns on Lex Luger at the conclusion of the match. I think they should have made Lex Luger the heel, have it coming out of that match and then you'd have had a meaningful main event heel going into this year's WrestleMania where he could have faced Brett, he could have faced Undertaker they could have built something over the course of months to get us to that point which would have added something to this show and removed either Brett or The Undertaker from this nonsense matches with King Kong Bundy and Bob Backlund but this yeah this this match is just absolutely dreadful for me and even finishes in a really weird way even Piper doesn't really seem that for this either it's just not a good thing I tell you what, man, I'm, I'm kind of glad that you said that uh, you felt that Brett kind of wasn't into it. And, uh, you know, kind of a lot of the match, you know, being good wasn't, you know, it kind of was on him. Because uh, at least now I, I don't get accused of any bias. Because um, to be honest, yeah, I, I kind of felt the same. It, I mean, I, I think we're all probably going to be in agreement in that it just it wasn't a great match at all. I, I felt Bob was all right. I, I say he was all right. Did it? I mean, Bob didn't feel particularly bad to me. But yeah, Brett. 
definitely did seem quite disinterested and you know like he didn't care and just wanted it done and you know again yeah I get that but you know that that was the spot they had that night and you know what whatever it's, I just, it, it kind of you know years later if, you know flash forward it kind of reminds me to uh, a match which we'll cover in, in the future Wrestlemania but Batista Umaga where Batista famously had a tantrum bit of a tantrum didn't like his place on the card and just sort of slept walked through it so I, I kind of felt like it, this was a bit of that Roddy Piper being there was to, to me a tremendous distraction the amount of times like it is you know, just sort of over the top voice you know asking them with the mic and you know well, what are you gonna it just it was just really bad and just really t- just took me away from it and yeah that, that that really didn't help and yet it was quite funny to, to <laughs> finish to, to your back i'm sure he pretty much just went yeah you know he sort of grunted made some noises and just went yeah <laughs> i was like oh okay I, I guess that's it then yeah again really really bad not great not not great night for for any of these guys it felt like bob Backlund going into business for himself because there's no way they were protecting bob back at this point he was done his run was over this should have been an absolute clean as a whistle victory for brett and and you know what an i quit match actually made sense in the scheme of this feud not just because bret hart had been beaten by bob backland because owen hart threw the towel in but also because bob backland's original motivation for turning heel was that he'd never lost the world title because he'd never said i quit having lost the iron sheik back in 1983 so long term that match makes sense but you've got to have one of them say i quit and it's got to be backland because you're not gonna, you're not gonna have brett say it and backland certainly doesn't need to win again so you've got to have him say I quit and the fact that he doesn't is just nonsense and I can only imagine it's Bob Backlund saying I don't want to say I quit I've never done it in my career I'm not going to do it now yeah I... <laughs> yeah I'm so embarrassed um, they, there's a couple of bits in this match that I love and all of which are nothing to do really with the actual match so for a start love Brett's attire classic black up top pink down below Lovely combination, classic Brahart. Um, the nose from Bob Backlund are great. Right at the beginning, he gets like punched in the face, and Roddy Piper's over there straight away with the microphone. Do you quit? No, it's quite entertaining. Well, I love how much Jerry Lawler hates Roddy Piper as well. So he's just absolutely just slag. He's like, this match contains the two people I hate most in the entire world, and he sticks with that for the entire thing. There's an amazing bit in it though, talking about the relationship between Brett and um <laughs> between Brett and and Roddy Piper. There's a bit where uh. Jerry Lawler says, "Of course, you know who uh, you know who Brett fought at WrestleMania eight, don't you?" And he's like, and "Vince is like, yeah." And he's like, "Who was it then?" And he's like, "He's like, well, he was like, not great WWF superstar." He's like, "Who was it then? Who was it?" And Vince snaps and goes, "Oh, it was a British bulldog." <laughs> it's so good. And Lawler's like, no, it was Roddy Piper, you idiot. It was so good because I just love the way that you can genuinely tell that Vince has no idea who Brett fought at WrestleMania 8 and the fact that he just clearly snaps and loses his temper at Jerry Lawler was really good. I mean, there was a couple of bits in the match. If I'm really, really trying to pick out the good bits, it's the same bits that you're going to get from any Brett match, like him constantly keeping an eye over his shoulder to look out for the chicken winger lights, but he did that in the match against him at Survivor Series 94 the impact that Bret Hart manages to somehow get when he hits the turnbuckle every time is impressive but again you can say it from any Bret match not specific to this one it's not good it's really not a good match and it upsets me and because I think we were starting to get some you know some leeway on Matt and Bret Hart and I feel like this is taking it back a bit and I think the next match that he's going to watch involving Bret Hart is going to take it back a little bit as well and it just upsets me I still want you to come into the water with this Matt the water's fine but it's, it's just a little bit it's not at the right temperature at the moment but it'll get yeah, back I mean, up all, all great wrestlers have very uh, bad matches all of them do and sometimes bad wrestlers have bad matches and this just happens to be one of Bret's 
and in fairness, as I said, I, I wasn't when I said about phoning it in and it not being Backlund's fault. That the, the overall quality was Backlund's fault. He just wasn't very good. But in Survivor Series '94, Brett was able to was still incredibly invested and was able to bring something resembling passable out of him. At this point, he clearly is not motivated to do that, and therefore that's why the match is worse. It suffers because Backlund's rubbish, but it, it, it's worse than the previous one because Brett's attitude to it. And I, as I said, I completely understand, and I think it's justified his attitude to it. As I said, you've got like a handful of major stars in the company at this point Undertaker, Brett, Shawn Michaels, well, not even Shawn Michaels really at this point, but Diesel, um, and Razor Ramon and Lex Luger, and pissed them all up the wall against less than, not all of them, but the vast majority of them against like pointless and nonsense feuds. Feuds that where previously I've been very impressed where they've had long tales. So this one obviously went on from Bob Backlund against Bret Hart and Raw in like mid 94, right through to Survivor Series, right through that into this WrestleMania. The Undertaker versus King Hong Bundy have spoken about the history there with DiBiase bringing him back in the summer of 94. But in this case, they just feel tired. They just feel done. They're they're over. They've been completed already and they were just left with these dregs and it's just, ugh. And so it adds that general feeling of this not being a WrestleMania caliber show in any way next to what we've already had, which is the just poor production values, poor, poor presentation, just strange decisions all over the place. I also think that Brett acknowledges that it's his worst pay-per-view match in his book as well. He says that this is the worst match that I had on WWF pay-per-view. Yeah, that's because he hasn't sort of WrestleMania 26 yet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, fuck me. So after this, Jim Ross is in the aisle, tries to speak to Bob Backlund. Bob Backlund says he's seen the light. That was it. Backlund being crazy as always. Lovely stuff. Backstage, Nick Turturro says he's been unable to find Pamela Anderson and therefore they've had to make some celebrity changes on the fly. So Vince McMahon's all like, oh, what do you mean celebrity changes? And he said, that's all I can say right now. We've got to sort it out. We've got to get it all sorted. So that's going to come next. Well, when, when you're on a show like Silent Witness that always has so many changing <laughs> casts and characters in it, you're going to be used to making changes on the fly, aren't you? Definitely. I, I keep expecting you to run out of other shows as well, but uh, they're still There's coming. no such thing. There's, a, 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 there's an absolute wasteland of procedural cop shows out there, <laughs> and I love them all. The next thing that happens is Todd Pettengill with Diesel. Now, Timothy. Oh, so, Todd Pettengill's with Diesel. I'll just say what he says. I won't talk about how he says it. So Diesel says that he knows how Michaels thinks, and he knows his game plan. This is, Matt, for your benefit, one of mine and Tom's favorite favorite ever promos in wrestling history and tom do you want to talk about why so we went through a phase it would have been probably around about 2008 i reckon me and tinky decided to watch every wf pay-per-view in chronological order so we started from wrestlemania one obviously and we got all the way through to i think i think it was the last in your house of 95 i think and then somewhere around then and the weird thing is about it is that we started watching it when we didn't live together and then when we lived together we just completely stopped watching it all together it's really weird yeah. <laughs> um, and in this promo is something that me and Tinky will always forever find amusing in the incredible tonal shift from Big Daddy Core because he starts off the promo cold as ice cold as a cucumber cold as ice and cold as a cucumber he's cold as an ice covered cucumber in this promo and he's like well you know Sean Michaels I know I've been in the, the Sid role myself and he goes Big Daddy Core came to do one thing and let's hold on to this belt and that reply that hold on to this belt and he just switches his tune straight away and it's so weird it's so crap and I'll be honest when I saw this happen I couldn't believe my luck 
I was so happy. I'm so happy that I recorded it on my phone <laughs> and I sent it to a few people and I will send it to Tinky right now so we can put it on our Twitter page. That <laughs> is lovely amazing. stuff. That is lovely. Yeah, he's like, uh, suddenly, it's almost like he remembers, oh, I'm supposed to be really intense. Fuck. And then he starts talking really, really intensely and shouting. Yeah, and it's just it's just hilarious. It's, it's a testament to how bad Diesel Kevin Nash was. In fairness, I will put this out there now. So this is, again, from the 35th, 35 years of WrestleMania book. It's, it, it's under a section which is called which is the main event and it's talking about how you know there was conversation and debate backstage about which match go on last the world title match or lt's match with bigelow and kevin nash remembers sean wanted to go on last and i feel the wwe championship should always go on last because it's the title but at the same time i got the title that november and i hadn't even had 300 matches in my career at that point i was excited to be there and be in there having a match at wrestlemania with my friend so i think this is again down to kevin nash's overall lack of experience it just mm. it's not natural doesn't really know what he's doing and this promo really backs that up to me the, the weird thing is that the reason why he has the, the tonal change is because he he fucks his lines doesn't he? he he like stumbles over his words and then just flies into the into it and oh it's awful but it's so entertaining I, I kevin Ash is fucking shit he just is we'll, we'll talk about this more later but he's just i don't understand the exception of being tall he brings nothing to any wrestling ever prick. Well, okay. <laughs> Next up, Howard Finkel's in the ring. He introduces Jonathan Taylor Thomas as a special guest timekeeper and the special guest ring announcer as Nick Totoro from whatever show he's from, Tom. Oh, oh yeah, Nick Totoro. Yeah, yeah, I remember him. He's um he's from Scandi, the Scandinavian, Scand- fucking hell, Scandinavian. <laughs> he's from the Danish slash Swedish crime drama, The Bridge, I believe, which incidentally is actually the greatest, one of the greatest TV shows ever made. I'd recommend anybody to watch it. It's it's magnificent Jonathan Taylor Thomas is the special guest timekeeper I am struggling to find out what the point of that role is well it's it's to ring the bell well, they and call keep... it the ring the, the bell ringer then well they also keep the time of the match don't they yeah but I don't think I, I wouldn't trust an 11 year old with that responsibility <laughs> not on a match of this magnitude mm. then Shawn Michaels is introduced and he comes out to the ring with Jenny McCarthy so she's obviously she's obviously replaced Pamela Anderson and then Diesel comes out he uh, waves back to the entrance way and Pamela Anderson emerges so Diesel has managed to win Pamela Anderson over and she comes out with him instead of Shawn Michaels. I ah, oh, this is fucking. So for a start, Diesel's so shit that he can't even open the ropes properly to let the women in and out of the <laughs> ring because he pulls down the middle rope and Pamela Anderson is wearing a very tight, long dress and she can barely get her leg over the middle rope. So that's so fucking shit. Diesel is. The other thing is as well is that he tries to play it so cool that it comes off really disinterested. There's no enthusiasm for him coming down to the ring having supposedly got one over on his foe do you know what i mean like it's just it's so unbelievably shit now the one thing that really did strike out to me and i don't know if you noticed this tinky the sean michaels so he comes down to the ring and he, he walks around the ring and to take to escort jenny mccarthy to her seat and as they walk past there's one thing we haven't mentioned so far is that there's loads of photographers around the ring as well and all the photographers scarp right up the way apart from one guy who i assume 
isn't a photographer but works for WWE in, or WF in, in a specific role and he's just led down next to the bottom of the ring next to the apron and he just stares directly into the camera as it walks past <laughs> I haven't noticed this I have to go back it's and watch really it it's really weird it's like he's been caught doing something it's really funny this bit is shit so the match itself then is for the WWF title it's a 20 minute 20 and a half minute match and it ends when basically what happens is that Shawn Michaels manages to hit the super kick but just before Sid had had a bit of a set to with the referee and the referee had jumped down to have a go at him and, and sprained his ankle in the process so Sid throws the referee back in the ring but by the time he gets back in the ring he only manages to count to two then Sid exposes the turnbuckle with a knife using a knife tells Shawn Michaels to throw Diesel into it but Diesel manages to avoid it does a slingshot on Michaels which hits which Michaels hits the second buckle just missing the exposed one Diesel then hits a big boot and a jackknife to win the match Tom I'm assuming you're negative about this match I'll be honest I was nearly in tears watching this <laughs> I hated it I hated everything about this match so much I hated Shawn Michaels ridiculous overselling at the beginning like he gets like a punch I think from from Diesel and then just flies all over the shop Sid is the most over person in the match he's there Sid chance going throughout it but this match goes on for 20 minutes and it felt like I'd been watching it for all of my life I absolutely despised this match I got to the point where I was sat on my office chair in, in my bedroom in my home, where my home office is and I was throwing a tennis ball against the wall like a convict <laughs> like in a prison cell because that was how bored I was I just thought it was awful there's not enough tension as given in wrestling history to the appalling nature of diesel's hair dye job as well because it's so unnaturally dark but i was genuinely i've got a note in here saying i'm so bored i might cry because i found it so fucking awful and diesel's gassed within like a minute of this match he just looks absolutely fucked through the entire match and i just i had to after the match finished and diesel gets all this all the celebrities in including jenny mccarthy who's turned on Shawn michaels and then he awkwardly tries to get them in and out of the ring by holding down the wrong rope i just watched this and i was like I, I need to have a break from this. Bear in mind that I started watching this on New Year's Day. I started watching this card on New Year's Day. Then I came back to it last Friday <laughs> and I watched the previous two matches, the Bob Backlund and the Owen Hart and Yokozuna matches. And that's probably what, about 40 minutes, maybe in total, 45 minutes. And I shut my laptop and walked away in disgust because I hated this match so much. And I'm thinking to myself, Vince McMahon is an absolute moron. And I've listened to the episode, the, the WrestleMania 9, which is a very entertaining show, might add. And I'm watching this thinking, like, Vince McMahon must be absolutely fucking soft in the head to give these two the WWF title match. Absolute dross. Hated it. So Matt, Matt's finally returned. He missed all the fun about Diesel's promo, uh, which is a great shame. Basically, Matt, what we love is how shit it is, because it is shit. Because um, his voice got, like, really angry because he fucked up yeah yeah basically yeah. That's yeah. what we love about it. But you know what? This is not the only promo he does it in. I've seen it two or three times. That was what caught me by surprise because I was convinced it wasn't this one and it was about his promo against Mabel at SummerSlam. Um, so that was why I was so elated when that promo happened yeah, to me. He did it multiple times during this run. Uh, Matt, what did you make of the match? This match was one of those rare ones that put me to sleep. It was just really dull. God, I can't, can't blame him for trying. It felt like they were like Shawn Michaels again as he does. It kind of felt like he he was you know flying all over the place to to try and make it entertaining but 
I think it was overly long. It just, it dragged again. It, like, towards the start again, they were on about bloody Pamela Anderson. And it just felt that that was the focal point and not the, the biggest prize, you know, in their company, you know? So it, it, it didn't work for me. Like I said, it was just that they definitely give it what they could. But I, I, I expect far better from Shawn Michaels in particular. At, at least, you know, later on I did anyway. But yeah, th- this wasn't good. I mean, the, the Jackknife Powerbomb to, towards the end of the match looked really nasty as well. Didn't, didn't like that one one bit. Not a great match. Not what you want for a you know a major match on a on a major pay per view. No. Well, I disagree with both of you. I thought it was really good. It was a really good match. Best thing on the show easily. Match of the night, no problem at all. Absolutely swept it up. I thought Sean's selling whilst overselling fit the occasion. Diesel's a big old guy. Shawn Michaels, let's be clear, wasn't a main event guy by this point. He was not a main eventer at the time that this match took place. He was just just a notch below main event. He'd spent the whole of the previous year pretty much just being Diesel's corner guy. So, you know, realistically, he was not a main event guy at this point, even though he'd won the Rumble. He'd won the Rumble when it was the least impressive win- Rumble to win. <laughs> you know, it was like basically the, the the field was really thin but also it was a competitor every minute so just because he came in at number one still meant he was only in the match for 30 minutes it wasn't even a particularly long stint so even being number one didn't really put him over as this massive star in the same way as it had for Ric Flair when he was number three and won the Rumble for example but this match was really good and I think the point of it was to get Diesel over as best they could and Shawn Michaels did everything he could to get Diesel over here made him look as good as he possibly could I thought his overselling fit the occasion I thought overall I was really really pleased with it there were some clear indications that the WWE fan base was not into Diesel so not only as you said Tom was their chance for Sid but there was also a Let's Go Sean chant which was fairly audible at one point as well so obviously in that respect the promotion of Diesel had not been it not really worked in fairness we talked but let's be let's be really fair. We sp- we talked a lot on WrestleMania Nine about the the lack of opportunity Brett was given to mark himself out as a great champion. In fairness, I think Diesel suffers from the same thing. So Diesel won the belt on a non-recorded match at Madison Square Garden against Bob Backlund in eight seconds, which was only shot from one angle, which was basically to the side of the ring. They obviously didn't want to subject anyone to that match because it would have been absolutely shockingly bad. But ultimately, that was how he was crowned champion. At the Rumble, he fights Brett. They go to a no finish and then his next big match is against Sean here where he wins but they give Sean Michaels an out for losing so even then they don't really give him that big push so in fairness to Diesel he didn't get the most auspicious of pushes as a as a new champion even though they centered so much of the promotion around the show and so much of the show around Diesel not only of course does he come out with Pamela Anderson and then celebrate with her at the end but he's also credited with training Lawrence Taylor ahead of his match with Bam Bam Bigelow where they also have Lawrence Taylor and Diesel do a load of stuff in the promotional stuff before the show but he just in terms of you know legitimate important victories he just wasn't being given them by this point but I think I think the match is pretty decent I, I and I think that he's not my MVP but Shawn Michaels is one of the two or three people that I specifically want to credit with this not being an absolute car crash of a show because I think this match saves it somewhat at least in my eyes anyway after the match Jim Ross tries to get a word with Shawn Michaels Sid says that Michaels is not finished with Diesel Diesel celebrates in the ring with Pamela Anderson Jenny McCarthy Nick Totoro Jonathan Taylor Thomas then Todd Pettengill's backstage with Michaels and Sid again. Michaels is frustrated and says he should be champion. But they show the footage of Michaels superkicking Diesel and having him covered, but no referee being there to make the count. HBK says he wants another shot. He told everyone he was the best, and tonight he proved it. They then cut something straight after this. I don't know what it is, but it was clearly clearly cut because it just didn't it didn't fit. It just, the timing wasn't right between this and the next bit. I like the fact that Sid kind of psycho Sid, you know, the the most unhinged wrestler. You 
you know, of all time, um, who we've praised many times on this podcast for, not for any of his wrestling, but for the fact that he's a great character who's fully into it. So it's one of the most sensible things I've ever heard. Where he's like, it was a disgrace. There should be more referees at ringside to make sure cheating doesn't happen. And I was like, you know what? I'm with you on that, Sid. That's yeah, a bloody point. good point. From someone who's so mental, you've come out with a cracking, some real sense there. Well done, Sid. Except for the fact that it re- renders his role completely obsolete. Because well, exactly. He's and the, the one running the, uh, the interference. But I tell you, you'd be happy with that. Not the polar bear. You get a clean finish every time with multiple referees. Damn right. Stop all this DQ bollocks. I think you're more likely to get lots Actually, you get more DQs, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get more DQs and lots more double pins and double submissions and all kinds of nonsense because they're two referees and one sees one and one sees the other. Give him a head cam or something. So this is obviously quite interesting because the following night, the, the raw on the following night, is the first, in my opinion, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think this is the first raw after WrestleMania that actually feels like a raw after WrestleMania. So the raw, raw after WrestleMania 11 is a night where Sid turns on Shawn Michaels and Shawn Michaels becomes a babyface. Shawn Michaels fires Sid for the mistake he made and then Sid attacks him. Diesel runs out to make the save. It's also the night where Alondra Blaze uh, loses her women's title to... No, she wins the title, sorry, back from Bull Nakano, but then gets attacked by her next kind of foe. Bear in mind, Raw was only 45 minutes long at the time. So to have two major angles at a time when you just didn't get angles at all, really, in, mm. in general, it really stood out as the first Raw after WrestleMania where things genuinely happened. I remember them even doing a two or three page spread in WWF magazine about it because it was just seen as such a big episode of Raw. Yeah. But what it did mean is that you already had Brett, Lex, David Boy Smith, Undertaker, and Diesel as babyfaces. Now you've got Shawn Michaels as well. There's literally no heels in the in in the main sort of main main event, if you like, of, of the of the company, with the exception now of Sid, who's basically placed as the main heel going forward after this show. That explain why like Mabel inexplicably gets pushed yeah. to the main event there. Why Brett Hart gets into a feud with a pirate over his jacket. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> like, there's no one for them to face. There's no heels. No. There's no major heels. So this is why I would have gone back to you know the previous year, Turn Luger, and he you know he would have profited massively. He'd have had feuds with everyone. So then we have McMahon introduced them. So Vince McMahon is this. This is why the cut seemed seemed wrong because Vince suddenly is in the ring and he just and he's and he's announcing the names of the million dollar team. Well, well, no, he's not. He's at ringside with Jerry Lawler. Sorry, yes, and they, that's talk, true. they talk about Jerry Lawler says that Shawn Michaels is the champion in his eyes. Then all of a sudden, Vince is in the ring. It's that's right. Weird. That's where the cut is. McMahon introduces the million dollar team: King Kong Bundy, Tatanka, Nikolai Volkov, Kama, IRS, and Ted DiBiase. Just again to sort of further talk about Bundy, he'd obviously lost the Undertaker. The Undertaker being one of the biggest stars in the company. Bundy pretty much after this point didn't do anything. There was nothing left for him to do. He just did jobbed out basically in Raw and Superstars matches. I like that they all uh, they're all they all jogged to the ring one by one. <laughs> yeah. And and that Nikolai Volkov is wearing a bizarre t-shirt, which is like the million dollar man's tux, but as a t-shirt with no trousers. With cents on it rather than dollars. Rather than and dollars, yeah. And the thing that says the property of million dollar man. So I watched a few episodes from mid ninety four of Raw not long ago, and there's this basically Volkov's character is that he is he's got no money left. He's he's become bankrupt following a long and lengthy wrestling career and effectively Million Dollar Man's bought him and he's his property effectively and it's it's almost like a sense of sympathy on Volkov rather than this guy being part of the Million Dollar team then of course he comes out here and you're like well that doesn't fit anymore because this is now the big stage you would have thought to be be like well Volkov can't be part of it he's not good enough yeah bizarre but also with Nikolai Volkov in 1994-95 I mean what are you doing like Volkov's been around for fucking ever Vince then introduces Lawrence Taylor's all pro team Ken Norton Chris Spielman Reggie Jackson, Carl Back, Steve McMichael, and Reggie White. While these guys enter, Salt and Pepper uh, cheer them on from from the ringside. 
Oh, they don't give a fuck, do they? It's the most unconvincing, enthusiastic dancing I've ever seen. <laughs> Before the participants enter, there is a physical altercation between the two teams. Bam Bigelow then comes to the ring and he momentarily goes after Salt and Pepper and then, then leaves them to their own devices. He's got bigger fish to fry. He's about to compete in the main event of WrestleMania. So the main event is... Lawrence Taylor versus Bam Bam Bigelow. They've each got their teams in the around the ring. It's an 11-minute match. It ends when Lawrence Taylor hits a sort of jumping, running forearm elbow thing from the second rope. Pat Patterson is the special referee for this one, and that's 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 the match. Tom, give your thoughts on this one. So um, Bam Bam Bigelow, who comes down, is wearing a very fetching leather jacket, which he takes off to scare um salt and pepper with or attempts to frighten salt and pepper with and then he puts it back on again he gets in the ring and uh and does the old uh hillbilly jim cartwheel <laughs> <laughs> which is a very bizarre move for a really like the hard heel character to just bust out a cartwheel but i've been on it and maybe it was practice for his bizarre moonsault that he does later on in the match bam and bigelow does a great job in this match in putting Lawrence Taylor over and making him look like a threat. But my question is why? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, why? What is the point in this? He does a great job at it. All it does is make Bam Bam look like an absolute... We've used the phrase a lot in this episode. He looks like an absolute jabroni in this match, does Bam Bam. Because you can see the amount of work that he's putting in as a performer. But as a character, he's just jobbed out to a guy who is not a wrestler no the moves to be fair to him that Lawrence Taylor does look, actually look pretty decent like a lot better than I was expecting but it, it's really bad and there's a moment in the match that made me feel so sad which is when Bam Bam Bigelow puts on the worst Boston crab I've ever seen there's a good bit of commentary from Jerry Lawler where he says it's a Boston crab on a New York giant which I quite liked knowing the sporting kind of rivalry between New York and Boston but it's just a bizarre match a really weird decision and coupled with what we said earlier in the show about how LT gets his win and that's just it is really weird I do quite like the fact that DBRC is berating Bam Bam Bigelow as they walk down the entrance ramp at the end of the match when JR was trying to interview them but it's just weird. It ends Bam Bam's career in WWF, at least anyway. I know he went on to have a pretty decent run in ECW and got to get some of that credibility back. But it's not. It's, the actual quality of the match is better than I thought it was going to be. But the overall package of it and the decision making behind it happening in the manner that it does makes it pointless to me. What, what do you say about it? I mean, well, for a, for a start. I don't particularly care about the NFL. So for me, I was kind of a little bit switched off already. It really wasn't to my taste. Now, I know, okay, it's more for an American audience. So, okay, I kind of get that, you know, celebrity. But it, it kind of felt like it would have been a bit more better suited to like a house show audience or maybe, or just, you know, for maybe a city they're in one night, you know, this is a match, cool local guy, local NFL player goes against, you know, bam, bam, wherever. It didn't feel like a WrestleMania main event. And I can't really think of one before or after that, you know, really made you think that was the main event. Like, you know, it, it it's at least, you know, going today anyway, it's, it's meant to be almost a prestigious thing to say, hey, I was the main event of WrestleMania. And if I was Bam Bam Bigelow, I, I wouldn't be trumpeting that fact, you know, based on this. As for Lawrence Taylor, okay, do you know what? 
he's quite athletic, evidently. You know, he, he did some stuff well. You know, he moved quite well. You know, he, he definitely looked like he hit pretty hard. I'm sure Bam Bam was quite happy for him to say, hey, just you know, lay it in if you need to. So, you know, that that was right. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I can't think of a mania that, that ever ended on such a whimper than this. I mean, it was basically, it felt like just like a jabrona fried friggin' lumberjack match. It was just, this is what you were offering? You know, oh, really, really boring. Didn't feel like it mattered. Just waste of time. I mean, poor Bam Bam Bigelow. Yeah, I mean, you know, Ted DiBiase, I'm going him after the match as well. This was not any good, and it was just a waste of time. So I don't know how big a deal Lawrence Taylor is, because I don't know anything about NFL either, but I've looked him up, and he's considered apparently one one of if not the best player in his position of all time he's a nfl hall of famer and he was a new york giant which are a really very big <laughs> nfl franchise so i'm sure he's a massive or was a massive star in american sports he's had some problems though since and he had some problems during his career in fact he had a couple of uh he, he was apparently quite a recreational drug user and even in 95 i think went uh it was kind of like had, had some legal issues as a consequence he also is on the i think they call it the minor sex offenders register in america because he had he had confessed to have having had sexual relations with a 16 year old uh in later life so he is he's a bit of a dodgy character he's a bit of a whatever but i'm sure at the time he was a it was a big deal bam bam bigelow it's interesting that you pulled out the idea of him being in the main event of wrestlemania as being something that he wouldn't want to necessarily tell people about because it wasn't such a big deal actually they had to convince bigelow to do this because he was concerned about his own credibility as a wrestler again in a time when still old school attitudes were prevailing and if you sold quite heavily for a non-wrestler let alone lose to them you were going to suffer as a consequence of that so they convinced they had to convince him to do it and they convinced him by saying you'd get he'd get a babyface turn and a and a main event run now we've already discussed the fact they've got a, a incredibly weighty babyface main event side of the roster bigelow is now going to turn babyface at probably the worst possible time he could because actually if he stayed on the hillside there's all kinds of opportunities for him to face you know undertaker and diesel and other people but no 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 he's he's going to turn babyface they did give him a, a, a sort of main event run on house shows for a little bit after this point and he also headlined king of the ring alongside diesel against tatanka and sid but it didn't amount to much and by the end of the year he was gone so it didn't work out well for Bigelow in the long run although if he's good in these days I think what's interesting is that the idea of him having been in the Wrestlemania main event might have been you know if he was still alive might have actually been a bit of a brag but he never he wasn't of that he wasn't of that period that era where that actually was the thing to brag about you know your accomplishments in terms of winning and losing was more of a thing than oh I headlined Wrestlemania kind of thing the uh <laughs> what you just said then Bam Bam Bigelow and Diesel versus Sid and Tatanka. So it is an epitome of tell me you're from a wrestling card from 1995 without telling me you're from a wrestling card from 1995. You list those four people and you're like, ah. There we go. The match itself was all right. I think Lawrence Taylor did quite well. And Bam Bam Bigelow is my MVP for the fact that he managed to get through this match, put over the NFL star and did the business. And you can't argue with that. But it, it wasn't it wasn't anything special, but it, it was OK. It was for what it was expected to be for me. It was OK. And I think that kind of those two matches, Shawn Michaels and Bigelow for me, save this card to some extent. I think in terms of what it did going forward, nothing. But then it didn't matter. Bigelow, in truth, despite the promises that it made to him, 
they didn't care. Bigelow was just somebody, wasn't a main event guy before the show, wasn't really one afterwards, despite what they told him that they were going to try and do. Uh, so they didn't really care that he'd lost. It wasn't someone that they needed to protect in their eyes, so they didn't. Um, and so he lost. But the it's just the way, again, that presentation. I, I've said this before. If you present something as being important, even if in truth it's not, if you present it as being important, people will take it as being important or they're much more likely to anyway. It, so if after this match, they'd given Lawrence Taylor a bit of a kind of celebration in the ring and I don't know, Adam, even talk to the audience. You know, even talk to people and going, oh, you know, this is my one wrestling match. I'm really pleased to have won it in the main event of WrestleMania is a major deal for me. Would have made it feel a little bit important. But the way that it just, the match was done, we're off air, it's done, it's all over, just felt so pointless and nonsense that you they weren't even presenting it as being important let alone it actually feeling important to your audience and i just think just really uncharacteristic bad presentation which one thing i've always credited wwe for two things production first of all which is terrible on the show but also presentation they're two different things and the presentation is about treating your stars as stars and treating moments as important wwe tend to get that right it was my biggest it's been my biggest critique of AEW, and it was my biggest criticism of tna during their run is that you'd get somebody like jeff hardy turn up within two weeks you already felt unimportant because he'd be turning up for impromptu matches with some nobody on impact and with no fanfare and you're like treat him importantly and you'll feel important but you do this it just feels like one of anybody on the roster so here that that's they're guilty of both of those things and I, it's very very uncharacteristic of of wwe in general so i don't think and i'll get to my rating now I don't think this is the worst WrestleMania from an in-ring perspective. I really like the Diesel Shawn Michaels match, for example. I, I had time for the Owen Hart Yokozuna tag match. I didn't mind the Razor Ramon Jeff Jarrett match, and I didn't mind the main event. But it is the worst WrestleMania from a perspective of it being a WrestleMania. It's the least WrestleMania WrestleMania of all, in my view. Um, my rating is four because I did quite like the. I said I quite enjoyed the World Title match. That match is my match of the night, and my MVP is Bam Bam Bigelow. Matt, why don't you give us yours? Sure. Um, well, like I said earlier on, my MVP has to go to Billy Gunn. What a guy. And the Smoking Guns uh, versus Yokozuna and Owen was my match of the night. Now, as, as for my overall number, I was, um, I've, I've been back and forth on this because I, I got to be honest. I mean, this, as I said towards the start of the show, that this really did sort of give me memories and, and flashbacks to, to the first WrestleMania, which for me was just the most god awful show. And I, I thought this was a close second. So honestly, I, I was I'm in an R over it, but you know, for, for me, it, it's a one. And I can honestly say, I unless we cover it again for any reason on this podcast, I will never ever watch this show again. So my match of the night is um, the Smoking Guns versus Owen Hart and Yokozuna. Being that a match that contains Billy Gunn and Bart Gunn is my match of the night. It's a <laughs> damning indictment of this entire absolute turd of a show. My overall score is a two, and it's only getting that because of the Allied Powers entrance music and the <laughs> Diesel promo. And some some pithy comments from Jerry Lawler as well. It's really low. I would never intentionally watch this or choose to watch this again. Um, my MVP of the night is a real difficult one. I've said ones that were contenders, but my ultimately my MVP is the running time <laughs> because it's only two and a half hours, less Lovely. than that. So I will take that. Good stuff. So that puts WrestleMania 11 second bottom behind only, but above only WrestleMania 2. Not WrestleMania 1, Matt. Only above WrestleMania 2. WrestleMania 1 is quite a way up. Well, it's fifth from bottom so it's it's not gonna it's not gonna trouble the bottom but yeah that is that is interesting much worse than wrestlemania 9 um, and wrestlemania 4 so 
there you go interesting I, stuff i think if i was to rate my wrestlemanias which i guess is what we're doing but i think if i was to rank them right now the first the first 11 that's where it would be that's fair enough well it certainly would be for me now i i, I would i said if i was just ranking wrestlemanias i put this last now it's more that i'm trying to rate this on a scale of it being an event that i that we've judged against all the other shows we've done as well as the wrestlemanias but in terms of just wrestlemanias i think it's the worst based on what we've seen so far okay so that is everything today we've we've managed to cover every single thing we can possibly want to cover uh so all that's left for me to do is to thank you tom for your contributions today cheers lads pleasure to chat to you i'm sorry i got a little bit drunk earlier in the recording of this but i think i've sobered up a little bit now so i think <laughs> i've i think i've brought, brought a bit more in the second half of the show i'm off to lisbon tomorrow so i'll speak to you guys when i'm back yeah that, that sounds very very nice and matt thank you for joining us as well thank you very much i am super glad that that piece of shit show is out of my life good stuff we'll be back in a couple of weeks time with wrestlemania 12 we'll see how glad matt is once he gets into that one but until that point take care I'm moving.